Yeah. But as I was saying, I don't have to worry. Every everyone in my family, every person on both sides has croaked fully on their deathbeds with a lush full head of hair. So I don't think that's that's in my future. Really? Isn't doesn't your dad have like some thinning hair? My dad's hair just... is thinning slightly, but not But everyone does. Once you like if you're fully if, balding. Yeah, oh. it's like if you if you're like you can get that kind of like Mitt Romney just kind of nice recession, but it's like, it looks classy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, yeah, my dad's hair is a little wispy, but it's not like... Okay. You know, I'm done. With, I'm, I'm, I'm over with. And, and, and You're going to just, just be fully bald at 43? Yeah, but something like that, probably, I think. So I'm trying to just be like, you know, this is like the kind of first thing mortality in, index out of your control. And I'm yeah, not trying I to. Mean, I'm not trying to like scream and, and cry about it. So I'm. I'm not trying to apply fucking shit to my head for the rest of my life. Yeah, uh, I'm screaming and crying about it. My teeth are. I'm getting. The, I do the white strips. And if I ever go bald, I'm getting. A, I'm getting beard implants to give full beard so I can look. Oh, I, did you guys ever? <laughs> did you guys ever see the yeah, show? Dude, I'm gonna do it. You're gonna get pubes in your hair headline. <laughs> they like take <laughs> them. They take them off the back of your head and like make follicles in your face. God, I've seen videos. It is fucking impressive what they're we're capable of doing these days. It's advanced. I'm like, here's my thing with science. Let me just say this: (laughs) (laughs) science Science as a whole. Okay, yeah. Like, let's stop devoting time and energy to figuring out how to transplant pubic hair into your face, and like, just make it so we don't die anymore. Like someone start working on that. Like if like yeah. if we if every single person who was working on like dumb cosmetic anti-aging shit spent all of their time and energy figuring out how to actually fucking stop us from aging and perishing. Like how have we not figured this out yet? Or or even at least at least work on like how we can eat and drink whatever we want and not get fat or unhealthy. Like how have we not? I'm see. I'm being serious. I know. How, yeah, how serious, have we not but... made any progress on those problems? Like as far as I know, like at all. What the fuck? I feel like Google is like they got the Human Senescence Project, right? Is that something? I don't know what I, that is. I feel I like the, the the people at the forefront are the people you'd least like to be at the forefront. Listen, if if, if I don't care where it comes from, if someone figures out that I can just survive on beer and mozzarella sticks. I, I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is or where they come from that I will be very happy with that person. It just seems like yeah. a solvable issue. What the fuck? 
I've actually, I think I've read some. I don't know, like some. They're slacking. They're, it feels like, like they're slacking. Fuck all this. Fuck ago. all this space shit. Fuck all this machine learning shit. True. I want you to figure out, make a pill that I can take once a week or once a day or whatever the fuck that hypercharges all of my organs and whatever the fuck fat burn whatever the fuck needs to happen <laughs> sugar conversion fat I, I don't fucking know i don't this is this is why i'm You'll not powered gonna, up get in this, there literally <laughs> this is why i'm not going to be the person to do it but whatever the fuck needs to happen make it liver function make it fucking happen come on i know they already treat us like in the medical field as though we are faulty cars you know what we I mean? Are. So we there's are. no there's no romance there. It's not like, you know, the temple of the body. It's like no, they're they're there, they're like there's like twelve different ways to deal with a standard procedure because it's just like fucking whatever, you know, it's like dealer's choice. And it's like, yeah, it's it's pretty uh I don't know, mechanical in a sense. Maybe, I, my, just, maybe I just don't know enough about it. I'm sure I'm... You don't. I, I, I was going sure to yeah. yeah. retract yeah. and say I certainly don't <laughs> yeah. know enough about it. Maybe I don't know enough about science. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you don't like, know shit, neither do I. But, but like, like, making progress on like anti-aging stuff seems to me to be like just intuitively more doable the than best like science idea e going to space even in the first place like let it alone, can't be or there wouldn't be these all these other crazy shit these people are doing with fucking like deep ai and shit like that like put also what regardless of the, com <laughs> the complication like the Gabe's complexity the complexity of the question it just seems more important of a question something that would be more like just do that instead of the deep AI machine learning or whatever. I think uh I think the dodge is the is the real, you know it's that it's not it's 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 impossible. That is just too hard. And then well, you know, so, so they're just they're just like look at the you know, they're they're jiggling their their left hand to make you ignore the right. Well, I think I that if possible. we uh, if if we solved cancer that would probably like go they would probably translate uh, well to like great, cell decay. That would be a great first. It would probably be like maybe be a, a double whammy. Did. I know that's something people are working hard on, but <laughs> yeah, I, who's who is out there working hard on the drink beer and have nothing bad happen? <laughs> problem. There's people out here suffering <laughs> because of how much beer they drink, <laughs> and they still want to like six pack and to live for the normal length of time. <laughs> Longer, extending it longer. Yeah, a hundred and twelve-year-old chronic alcoholic. Please, but 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 make it not even matter. That's the point. Yeah, you can right. live to be infinite, five hundred years old plus, right? And, and you just, look like a twenty-five-year-old. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's, it seems just not drinking that beer, just walking just around stumbling happen. drunk. <laughs> five hundred years from now, you look like a TikTok star. <laughs> <laughs> You're 78. You look like a TikTok star. You're drunk. You you cannot look me in the eye. You cannot look me in the eye and tell me that that would not be a doper scientific discovery than anything having to do with AI. Of course, and anyone who did was would be a you know a filthy rich genius person. That's the other thing. It's like these people want money. This is you you, you want. You, 
Live forever. Make me live forever. These motherfuckers trying to get paid. Like, if you want fucking money, do like, something dude, dope. Come on. So, so I'm I'm putting my foot down. This is the official Spine Crackers podcast call out to Silicon Valley. <laughs> <laughs> Elon, Peter Thiel, the dude that Nick Offerman played in Devs, all of you people who are doing this shit, focus on making us not be able to do whatever we want and not get fat and die. That's that. Come on. Get it together. Get it together. Okay. No one gives a shit that your robot has feelings. No one fucking cares. Right, and his grimes in a costume. I have feelings, and I want... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My feeling that I, as an existing person, have is that I want to be able to eat and drink and do whatever I want with... And my be impunity, yeah, zero exactly. consequences. Yeah. To yeah. What's so bad about yeah. that? What's so bad about no, it's that? nothing. It's just a fantasy. It's never going to happen. Yeah. Know. Well, you're, you're, you're these... going to die in pain. Maybe if you're some of these people fucking reprioritized <laughs> this bullshit that they're working on, you might die like my grandfather, who was a millionaire at one point, wasted all his money, and died in a trailer in a diaper. Yeah. Well, shitting. If yeah. I had a million dollars, so to waste, my, I would. my grandfather was in a similar situation. Did everything right <laughs> on paper. Fucking perfect citizen. That's why I want to drink beer all the time. Who cares? You can do everything right on paper and fucking, you know, get shot by a stray bullet tomorrow. That's true. Well, see, you know who would have loved the sort of uh, substance abuse zero consequence discovery would be Truman Capote. Yeah, that indeed. is true. He would have benefited from it immensely. Immensely, also. as a uh, alcoholic and tranquilizer abuser. Yes. Yeah, Before so even ludes, there, I don't know what he was drink- what he was doing, but he was doing tranks of some kind. Just re- fix overdoses too. You know, no overdoses. Yeah, that'd be good. Live forever. I look. Did Capote ever meet Fitzgerald? I have no idea. I don't know. When did, I can't f- remember when Fitzgerald died and when Capote was kind of Cap- popping. So- Capote was popping in like uh, so I think In Cold the Blood 40s. came out in forty eight yeah and then he and then he, obviously that was kind of like his that's his most well known book that's the book that uh, most people know when they hear the name Truman Capote and Breakfast at Tiffany's also but I think In Cold Blood yeah. is probably the bigger one amongst particularly amongst like literary people um, but I think that came out in forty eight and then after that it was just whoop, off to the races. But he had he had like that thing like that that Fitzgerald experience. I mean, I whatever. Th- th- this was like a, a, it felt like a common thread amongst. Like first of all, the fact that you beco- you could become a literary oh, I'm celebrity. I'm tripping, dude. I was way off. In Cold Blood came out in 1966. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Like the stories we're yeah, reading. Thought, uh, 48. These are all way earlier. Yeah. These are like his. Yeah, these are 47. This is how he right? started, and then so he was he was. At it for a long time, but the idea well, he you was could at it when he was like a teenager, like an eighth, like an eight-year-old. I I read that in uh, 2015. Then I think the New York Times published like very very early on, like teenage short stories. That oh, really? He was like a wunderkind, yeah. kind of like precocious. Yeah, interesting. But like he talented, he, he became part of the kind of like like the, this is what always fascinates me is like the late 40s 50s to the 60s like um so yeah he's probably a generation younger than than fitzgerald i suppose um but you mean older uh 
Well, like, yeah, okay, wait, yeah, yeah, like a la- yeah, like yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Young, he's a younger person. Uh, right, right, right. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I got a similar vibe off of his bio of, like, he's writing these stories and he's he's been put in this kind of gothic southern gothic genre category which mm-hmm. had you know also just recently been kind of coming to prominence but he was just the idea of being like a lit celeb who gets to like drink and meet movie stars and like develop a tranquilizer problem amongst the intelligentsia of new right. york and whatever is so strange to me like Franzen is not, you know, doing that shit with with uh, Tom Cruise or whatever. You know, it's it's just yeah. such a different uh, environment. Well, or, I mean, and the, and Truman Capote in this the same year In Cold Blood came out, like he he had this, the, of course, this legendary fucking party, right? This this mm-hmm. the black and white ball or whatever mask ball, and like yeah. it, it 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 was like literally the social event of the century like in <laughs> in manhattan like social circles and yeah uh, that yeah that i think is just not really but he was like childhood friends with like harper lee mm-hmm. and like he, he, lee. he was like close to like humphrey bogart like you know what i mean like he was all over was he close with that uh who's that like 60s painter in new york city that did like the colorful marilyn monroe like, warhol yeah was he a, i always picture him being did you just forget warhol, Andy warhol <laughs> dude you know my recall i can't take a shit <laughs> don't i was literally man. i was literally looking up like i just typed in 60s visual artist <laughs> trying to find his name <laughs> too vague soup cans That's dude great uh, I don't, I don't think I don't so. Know. I think sure. that was. I think that's like a, just right after yeah. Capote, basically. Because okay. yeah, Capote got a late start in sort of his uh, his national fame. I suppose he was probably yeah. some sort of like uh, intelligentsia eccentric kind of like local celebrity. Um, but yeah, I because I, like in Cold Blood. Right, like, has anyone read it? No one's read it, right? I have not Here? read it. No, this is my first Capote. Same. Ever. I did see the movie. Right. We've we've all seen In Cold Blood. We've all seen... The, I probably... haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, actually. Oh, you love Philip Seymour Hoffman. You, you'd like it. Yeah, yeah, I think I would. We all know that the two movies that came out about Truman Capote in a weirdly short span of time... Uh, well, and also, of course, there's Breakfast at Tiffany's, which was a much older movie, but also based off of a Capote story. Story, yeah. Novella, I guess. Yeah. And um, the song. Then the I song. said, what about that? Yeah. Yeah. So he's floating around there. I actually don't know when Breakfast at Tiffany's was published. I, it, I don't know when it was published. The movie was like 60 or 61, I think, but I don't know when the actual story came out. 61 is the movie, and the 58 was the novella. So he's been cutting his teeth for probably 20 years before he really... Oh, definitely. Like, burst onto like the full public consciousness, like the actual, like, where he's like on the Dick Van Dyke show and like, you know, like he's... Well, one He's of the, actually a celebrity. One of the reasons I, that I think that partially played into the... Um, I was reading about this a little bit. He made the... Matt, it may be in our introduction, or our edition, he mentions in the introduction, um, whoever wrote the introduction, uh, his name is escaping me at the moment, um, 
Reynolds Price, who I think is a novelist in and of his own right. Um, oh yeah, to to clarify, Gabe and I are reading a the complete, the complete stories of Truman Capote and Ga- or uh, uh, Paul. What do you, what's the name of the version you're reading? Uh, it's just a tree of night, and it doesn't even say. I, it's a. Uh, I don't have the the uh, pa- like the paper on the whatever, so I don't know if like the actual cover said it, but it just says a tree of night. Yeah, tree, tree of night and other stories is the collection yeah. we're reading, which but I, believe I have like was the first collected. edition. Do you really? Really? Yeah, I bu- yeah, I'm pretty sure. How much did you pay for it? I got it at Alpen, remember? And it was oh like, Alpen, uh, dude. Yeah, R.I.P. Rest in pen, dude. Yeah, it says uh, copyright 1945, first printing. No, yeah, that is the first edition. Yeah. That's nice, man. I know That's it smells pretty great. Sweet. Um, but that so that collection was the, obviously collected and released in Capote's lifetime. But this is the more recent full collection of all of his all of his short fiction. Um, but I, I was reading a little bit, and I, I forget if he mentions this in, in the introduction or if I was reading this elsewhere, but, like, Capote kind of, like, it, it, it was kind of actually not necessarily what you were saying, Matt, as him being, like, kind of like a, um, like, uh, 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 hipster, like, intellectual author or whatever, because most of his writing, and I guess this was kind of, like, the... Price, I think, makes the point or makes the argument that like this was just the case for pretty much like all good writing at the time is that it appears it, it was published in like like serial form, basically in like women's home magazines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so like he had like an audience quote you know of women who were reading these stories and some of these novellas and stuff published serially in these magazines, and then so then when In Cold Blood hit. There was already like kind of this base of an audience that he had, and then it and then I it see. kind of just blew up from there. Which you know, this is not what we're covering. We're covering the Tree of Night and other stories, but I like In Cold Blood was was a uh, a genre innovation of sorts, or it was like kind of one of the first like mainstream instances of like. A uh, factual account being fictionalized, right? Something like that. Yeah, because it's based on a, a real, some like real murders, right? And um, yeah, Capote kind of novelized the the facts of the uh, of the murders, and and I guess you know again we don't have to get too deep in it, but I, but I guess was like deeply personally involved in it to the point that he like may have even like paid some attorney's fees for one of the killers or something. Whoa. I read that yeah. somewhere. He was deep into it, if I remember the movie. <laughs> yeah. With Philip Seymour Hoffman that I watched. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> anyway. But anyway. So the, the collection that we're reading tonight, it's got eight stories in it. Um, right? I think it's eight stories. Yep. Yeah. So, Paul, this was your pick 20 minutes into yeah. the episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why'd you pick this book? Uh, and what's the... Uh, what it what's it about? That's not really applicable because it's a bunch of different things. But what, yeah. what did, was there anything thematic maybe that you thought tied it together? What, why'd you pick it, and what was your kind of initial impressions maybe? Well, yeah, I picked it. Um, Matt and I were at this really cool bookstore kind of by me called Alpen Books. Shoutouts, look it up. Go there sure. someday. It's awesome. They're changing owners, um, but I think there's still gonna be a bookstore, and they're just like in the middle of the woods, and cool. And I just came across this book, and I was like, Jim and Capote. Never read him before, <clears throat> and I picked it up, and I was like, 
this is going to be on the podcast. This seems like a good a good fitting thing. Um, but yeah, when I looked it up, uh, I basically realized it's ba- it's in his top five or four most well known works, like this collection, Tree of Night and Other Stories. Um, they're really early on, like they include one story, Miriam, which is like his first published published work. Um. And that one, I think, was kind of a big one at the time. Like there was a there was like a yeah. like a made for TV movie or something made of that oh, right. as well, or or something. It was adapted in some way. So that one kind of arguably was his first put him on the map, I suppose. Okay, that's probably my favorite one in the book too. Actually, um, I liked it. But yeah, I mean, there yeah, there's eight stories, and they're you know they're kind of how would I describe them? They're kind of dark they're all pretty much dark stories about you know characters that are kind of living a mundane existence i would say that in a lot of the stories have tragic endings but there's also a lot of like almost horror like surreal elements that i was kind of caught off guard by i didn't know uh i mean the very few things i've heard about capote that was never mentioned to me but it makes sense because in co-blood and breakfast at tiffany's from what I understand, do not have any of that kind of elements in them. So, yeah, it was kind of like a, it was a fun read for me. Um, and Gabe, you mentioned uh, that it, it almost gave you some Murakami vibes. Like last week, you told me that, which yeah. I kind of agree with. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll probably get into the more surreal, borderline, magical, realist elements, but yeah. I mean, I, I I just wanted to echo what you had said, which is that I, uh, going in not really knowing what to expect. I talked about this uh, on a video that I did for patrons only. Join the Patreon, Spinecrackers, <laughs> patreon.com slash Spinecrackers, um, where I review some of the other stories in this book that we're not going to talk about tonight uh, for patrons only on Patreon, so do that. Um, but uh, I it, this was not at all what I was expecting. I didn't really know what I was expecting. Um and I didn't really have much justification for like expecting anything specific, but uh, it, it it definitely was um, kind of out of left field for me. Uh, and I think par- maybe part of that is just my like the little knowledge that I have about Capote as a as a public persona, and this and he was kind of very like boisterous and out there and fucking partying and and all of that stuff. He was a openly gay man uh, at the time. And uh, in his sort of like when he was in the public eye, and so he would be, he did a ton of interviews and made TV appearances and and he, you know, and I've seen a few of those interviews over the years, but uh, yeah, definitely definitely not necessarily what I was expecting going in. I don't know what you thought, Matt. Yeah, I, I'd also you know not just just a name, you know, essentially, like uh, in Cold Blood, I like I said, I'd seen both weirdly soon after each other films in the early aughts about him and then uh i'd seen breakfast at tiffany's like a while back but is the other so, one so, just called capote the other movie the yeah but there's Philip a seymour hoffman yeah i think so yeah but there's another one with a british actor who plays him okay um sir philip seymour hoffman <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I've been knighted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 I'm so fucked up. I'm fucked up, dude. Uh, 
<laughs> that line was fucking bitten from Neon Genesis, dude. Don't even get me started. Is it, was it really? No. <laughs> it's bitten. That line is bitten from Neon Genesis. Well, you can develop that argument in a second. I'm just going to say... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, like because of In Cold Blood being the most prominent title in my head, I was expecting a sort of continuation of that, which I guess was actually a turn from from the kind of um, Southern Gothic that he was working in and identified with prior, where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm pr- I was like expecting a kind of like journal, like pseudo-journalistic approach to everything. I was like thinking about like, you know, uh, the journalist and the murderer with Janet Malcolm, like the like kind of the the same thing that actually only occurred once in his career, which was like this uh, somewhat problematic involvement with these figures in this tragedy, and he's potentially just using them uh, to tell a like sort of lurid tale, um, and invite a lot of questions about ethical confidentiality within the writing and journalist sort of framework but that's not at all what these short stories are they're like way more like weird and very like more uh like pseudo freudian kind of like psychological gothic-y things and they like take place in new york mostly well yeah new that's that's the other thing i thought was interesting is that it's they take a lot of them take place in new york but then a number of them also take place in louisiana the south generally yeah. um sometimes sometimes specified sometimes i felt like not particularly specified exactly where they were taking place um which i think speaks to that like you were saying Matt, the kind of like gothic slash southern gothic which of course was hot at the time and and there was been a lot of ink spilled about capote and his um debts to, to people like you know faulkner or flannery o'connor or whatever all of which he sure. denied fervently because he had was insulted by uh, basically saying anyone had ever influenced him, which is hilarious. It's parochial. Yeah. <laughs> he had a funny voice too. Everyone knows this, but he had a funny oh, voice. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Might as well just put that on the table. He had a funny voice. Um, I'm glad I didn't, I didn't read the book in that voice. I was a little afraid I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been exhausting, but yeah. also like maybe kind of funny. He yeah. sounds like Mike Tyson. He does kind of sound like yeah. Mike Tyson. Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, how do you guys want to do this? Do we want to go story by story? Do we want to talk like yeah. big, big themes? Okay. I don't think there's like... save that for the end. Okay. Can I just say like we've done not too many, but a couple short stories, I, I, like collections. I think this I think might only lot... be our second. I th- yeah. I think my choice was the other one, the the Soul of Wood and I will say it is it is a little tough because like I don't know if you make a good short story in my opinion it's like uh, a kind of world unto itself it's and then you if you read something like eight like we did here or I think there was a similar number for Soul of Wood it's like if you're writing good short stories you need to contend with them seriously individually and so if you read a slew of them and then need to discuss them it's like uh, you just have to shift your mindset yeah. for each discussed thing, and maybe there is a through line that can make that easier. But like, 
it's definitely like, okay, are we done? Okay, next story. Well, and, and also you, yeah. just in in just us, we could probably talk about each of these individually for a half hour to forty minutes yeah, each. So, we gotta but, try so that would be too. like a six hour episode. So yeah. we're gonna have to endeavor to avoid that. So let's begin. What was what was? Let's go by. Let's go on uh, Paul's order. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Sick, because I got the first. So I don't know what the order is in that original collection there, Paul. Yeah, you Capote tell us the hand title. Wrote this book himself. <laughs> first edition. That's a rule. First editions are handwritten by the author. <laughs> uh, the first one is Master Misery. Okay, that's interesting because that's the that's last. That's the last one story. Ours. Yeah. What's uh, What's your first story? Jug of Silver. Okay, my last story is A Tree of Night. Okay, so. Uh, that this will be interesting to talk about because I read this last and I you know I did find felt like I found some some through lines throughout the various stories and this one kind of like didn't necessarily bring them all together but uh, yeah it was exemplary of, of a number of them. Well, first of all, the shitty life of uh, someone living in New York even in 1948 or whenever <laughs> still sucked to live there. Yeah, yeah, it, it <laughs> always did. Definitely yeah. some poignant critiques of city life. Um, from from the uh, the main character, what's her name? Sylvia. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And I forget where she comes from, but she's a recent um, Easton transplant. But I, don't, I don't know where like that is specifically. Presumably somewhere, you know, south. I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like Missouri. Yeah, I don't know. It was. It was that that story felt. Mr. Misery, right, is this Dr. Everston or something like that? Uh, who is... I don't know the, if he's a doctor. He's he's um, he's some he's kind a, of, like, old, uh, convalescent, like, rich guy. Yeah. Who, well, maybe we should, I don't know. He buys dreams. Yeah. He buys yeah. people's dreams for a sliding scale price depending on, like, how His subjective, seemingly valuation of them merits, uh, and and I think importantly, we don't really know what that means, right? Like, right. We know that there's someone who, um, one of his assistants who's with him during these like sessions, who's transcribing or taking notes at least on the dream. But like, it's also, and this is where is I, it, Miss Caesar? It, it might be. Is it? I forget his assistant's name. Mozart. Miss Mozart. Mozart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So it's Master Misery and Miss Mozart. Um, (laughs) And I, uh, I, this is where for me some of the magical realist stuff starts to starts to emerge, in the sense that like, obviously this could just be he's paying people to tell them about their dreams and he's having someone write them down and he keeps them in this big file cabinet, right? But I felt pretty strongly that it was also like implied, if not narratively, at least thematically, that there was something like sort of spookier going on. And I don't know if you all got that sense or not. Of course. Oh, yeah. Vampirism. That Paul? Was, that's what you thought? Yeah. What well, did you think something different? No, I, I just I didn't pick up on that. I just thought there was some something unnameable that was surrounding me during the story i didn't i didn't pick up on the vampirism well i just mean like um I, like an actual nosferatu character <laughs> like, well, yeah kind of <laughs> but for I, dreams I, I figured it was sort of like uh uh 
like he was kind of a uh, stand-in cynically for like a therapist. Okay. And he was doing the sort of Freudian yeah. interpretation of dreams thing yes. where... Because there is like a oh. waiting room with other like quote-unquote like patients and stuff and they're all, you know, in various degrees of kind of down and out and or neurotic. Yeah. And like... I guess the inverse is that she technically makes money by selling them, which would be the opposite right. of like a therapeutic relationship. But at the same time, I detected some sort of sort of like 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 a, a critique of popular Freudian shit, which was probably definitely going on in the late forties. Yeah, 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 I agree. I, I agree. I, th- I was thinking more just like general consumerism, I guess, which I guess is relevant to your point too it's just like a different form of it or a capitalist like a capitalist system of some kind but I, I was actually thinking of that movie where they uh erase your memories with with a uh, jim carrey i can't think oh of, eternal of, sunshine of the titles. spotless mind yes i was thinking of that a little bit just like a kind of a weird clinical place you go to have something very surreal happen to you Right, and and something like you're like, I want this dealt with, and then after a time, you're like, but no, never mind. Like right. I'm actually I'm actually losing something of myself by desiring a, a remedy for this. Which I think Matt sort of su- supports a little bit the kind of like vampirism angle because Sylvia, of course, like a couple times in the story after this, she starts like regretting selling the dreams. She like right, yeah. feels loss and her life her life kind of gets like measurably worse after this. Like she's sort of decaying in a way she moves into this one bedroom, like not even a one bedroom, like a studio apartment. And it's, she just like lets it go to shit. And her (laughs) friends are like worried about her. But she Uh, used to live with her friends who were like, the other thing is like part kind of why she went in the first place. It's like she lived with like a happily married couple. What's her friend's name? Estelle, I think. Estelle and I don't know the dude's name, uh, Nathan or uh, I don't shit. remember. He's not really a character in the story. Yeah, his name's Bootsy. His pet name is Bootsy. <laughs> right. Uh, and she's like, "You just need to get married." Like when I, when I, you know, I, I can't tell you how, how wonderful it is to uh, feel the secure arms of Bootsy around me every <laughs> night as I go to bed. <laughs> And I love him, and he's just, he, you know, he's such a good would-be lawyer as he's, like, studying in Columbia Law. Right. Yeah. And a lot of these stories are pretty funny. Like, they feel, like, because, like, how old would Capote have been if he's writing throughout the latter half of the 40s? Late late, tw- late 20s, early 30s, Early maybe? 30s. Yeah. You can yeah. feel You can feel that perspective, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, once again, is not... Nothing new under the sun with that. Like, very like, uh, he's got a very sharp eye, and uh, the 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 kind of stuff that eats at you and the concerns you have are are the same. It's like people in relationships probably are starting to establish, and like, if you're My not, annoying already married friend. Yeah, if you're not, it's like. Uh, it, it's this thing that kind of looms large, and if you live with that, yeah. A fucking cute married couple that are always so, like, they're doing PDA and yes. I hate them and right. I have nothing. 
<laughs> and so this I'm gonna, and so I'm gonna engage in some like <laughs> self-destructive behavior, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then of course, like she winds up in Meeting like an a, this like pseudo relationship with this other, you know, patient slash client or whatever of uh, of master miseries. Who? Uh, what's his name? O'Reilly. Yeah. Yeah, he's who, Irish. Who's just yeah, <laughs> he's just a straight alcoholic, and but but has a, a I guess a, a charm about him, and uh, they they go down this kind of self destructive rabbit hole of a relationship <laughs> together, and uh, he's arrested, maybe, and then sort of shows up inexplicably at her place, and they have like this weekend long party together, and they just are she's like happy again, and then at the end of the story, she wants to try to go back and get her dreams back. From Mr. Uh, Misery. What's his real name in the story? Uh, Something it, Netherland or. Na- it, it's. Uh, um, I think there's a V in there, but I know. Revercombe. Okay. Mr. Mr. Revercombe. It's like AF Revercombe. AF Revercombe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she can't get him back because he says he's used them all up already. So I think this like again this that that's where it's like what the fuck does that mean like in terms of the re- like realistically in the story it's it's a sort of this this element like I've been saying of kind of like this surreal kind of I guess magical realism you know it reminded me of um on the, just on the vampirism thing I have to say this because it's popped in my head does anyone did any of you guys read fucking Bruce Koval books when you were younger. Anyone know who that is? Okay, Bruce Koval was this dude who had all these collections. He was kind of like an R.L. Stein like type character. <laughs> okay, but he 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 did like short story collections that were not his own, like but with a bunch of other people that would contribute stories. And one of them that stuck in my head for so many years after I read it, when I was probably like twelve or something or whatever, it was, the, the story is like four lines. And it's just about, it's just like, uh, someone picks up the phone one day, I, I forget what the title was, but it was something hinting at like vampirism and immortality or something. And the, you, the, someone picks up the phone, they're like, hello. And the person on the other end of the phone just goes, um, Hey, how are you? Um, can I just have a minute of your time? And the person's like, yeah, sure. And then they're like, thank you and hang up the phone. And then the person's like, they just felt a little bit older when they hung up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It'll scare you when you're a five-year-old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, I, but anyway, that popped in my head because there's a similar vibe going on here with Mr. Revercombe in terms of his like emotional kind of slash spiritual vampirism. Yeah, it's like what they do in the shadows. There's like... Uh... There's like the emotional vampire. There's all these different types of vampires, and then there's like the time vampire, and it's like oh, just a very boring guy. <laughs> it's like who like just <laughs> right. says dumb shit. Everyone's like, oh my god, I can't get those minutes back. It also just felt like maybe more cru- uh, crudely as just like a, a, a kind of like the American dream is is uh, for sale at the moment. Yes, basically like by the cusp of the 50s it's just yeah, like and i think that theme of the american dream in general not necessarily specifically being for sale but being sold and, and consumed like paul was saying that's on display in a couple other stories i think too one one specifically yeah. is that what you're going to say by when you said you finished this as your last story that you had kind of like this gave you vibes for for the themes of the rest of the stories, that was one of the themes, yeah, that I thought okay. appear, was appearing here. And the other one is that you know a lot of these stories, as we'll see, kind of revolve around like people 
uh, in or or freshly out of or sort of in like very toxic self-destructive relationships yeah um and like their own kind of inability to like be a person basically um yeah and i think that comes through in in sylvia for sure but i do like the element of like you know there's that questionable element of like why can't she be a person is because her dreams are being sucked out and i mean i think it can relate to the to like going to a therapist and just like having this repetitive uh, relationship with someone who's not really potentially helping you. I, I guess that could be the theme that is kind of, you know, makes sense to me. And Sylvia, I think is a, is, you know, pretty kind of a pretty dark character. She's pretty like cynical and there's a, I, Capote for me, I'll put a, a few cards on the table here is very hit or miss when he get when he like waxes like a little philosophical um in terms of or or like in terms of the the this kind of symbolism that he puts in and so on and so forth but this this section that i i thought was really um emblematic of the way a lot of these characters kind of think um that we're going to talk about tonight this is on i don't know if you have uh, the same pages as me matt but this is on 171 in in the uh, collected edition um towards the end of the story this is after after o'reilly's been arrested and she's kind of like, um, you know, alone in her room, just kind of saying fuck the world, basically. Um, turning on the radio as loud as it would go, she dragged a chair up to the window and opened the newspaper on her lap. Lena denies. Russia rejects. Miners conciliate. Of all things, this was the saddest, that life goes on. If no one leaves a lo one's lover, life should stop for him. And if one disappears from the world, then the world should stop too. And it never did. And that was the real reason most people, that was the real reason for most people getting up in the morning, not because it would matter, but because it wouldn't. <laughs> and I think that that kind of like, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you want to call it angst or, or, or whatever, but that sort of just general kind of existential attitude is on display in a lot of these, these stories and these characters. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like the 30 year old angst, right? <laughs> It's yeah. not exactly like the teenage angst. No, nothing we would know anything about. No. <laughs> I didn't listen to the song Constantine over and over again when I was 18. <laughs> or, or yesterday. <laughs> I was, I'm just going to read this chunk, too. It's the end of Sylvia. It's just like, uh, it did not matter that it was the last of her money, that now she would have to walk home and alone. The pilings of snow were the white waves of a white sea and she rode upon them, carried by winds and tides of the moon. I do not know what I want, and perhaps I shall never know, but my only wish from every star will always be another star, and truly I am not afraid, she thought. Two boys came out of a bar and stared at her. In some park some long time ago she'd seen two boys and they might be the same. Truly I am not afraid, she thought hearing their snowy footsteps following after her. And anyways, there was nothing left there was nothing left to steal. Yeah, that's a dark that's a dark sentiment. And the, and yeah. I, I do think that that kind of permeates the whole collection of eight that we read. Um is angst for sure. And that's and, that that sense of just being lost, right? And not knowing what to do with yourself or 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 why you are the way you are. Because I think like one of the other things that happens in a lot of these stories is that the characters are like going through this like 
they go through something, whether it's a relationship or this thing with the with the dream guy or whatever, and then they come out at the end with essentially zero additional clarity in most ca- in most cases. <laughs> yeah, they're just like fuck. <laughs> like that was bad and it was confusing and uh it didn't enlighten me in any way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would I mean, say I, I, Oh, go go ahead. I was going to say like uh, most of the stories felt to me like an exercise in in misery. I mm-hmm. guess I would say. Yeah, just like it, exploring it, various miserable ideas and characters. Yeah, it I don't know what the span of years we read. It was not long, maybe 3. I think uh, the, yeah, I think like 3 maybe 4 years. My uh yeah, my edition says 47 to 49. Yeah. Let me let me okay. actually it might be 45. 45 Jug of 45 Silver 45 to 49. Yeah. So the, oh yeah, this is actually must have been published then in 49. But it's still my first it's still first edition. <laughs> it's a good snag. It's a five bagger. <laughs> five snagger. It's a yeah. It, it's 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 less like um, if you're trying to not engage with that mindset, which is I think interestingly enough a mindset that you know even back in the 40s and 50s doesn't feel dissimilar to the contemporary mindset of people around the same age range. I think that's important just in and of itself to kind of encounter and grok and like, uh, see. Um, but other than that, like I, I would say Capote's like sort of strength is more descriptive of this, of the sort of experience of that. Right. Like he, yeah, I don't know. He just, he's, his turns of phrase are so, funny and and good like I, I i have one just highlighted just by example uh it was a uh, yet the house was warm even somewhat overheated but cold and sylvia shivered but cold like the snowy swollen wastes of the secretary's face yeah. and i i just like like that kind of thing pops up everywhere it's just like this unexpected uh 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 simile or no 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 uh Right? Is that what it is? A simile? Yeah, simile. Yeah, the like. The like gives it away, if I remember anything like about seventh grade English. Yeah. Well, okay, chill. Uh, no, that wasn't, that wasn't a dig. We gotta, we gotta shake the rust off of our poetry terms. Oh, God. Whoop. I'm nervous about that episode. We are reading po- We are reviewing poetry at some Which point. Which is a spoiler future, alert near future. for what's a question we got uh, for a Q&A session for our anniversary episode, which is coming up next week. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah. But yeah, his his uh his turns of phrase are <clears throat> are are his strength, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think even in that passage yeah. you just read and, and that passage you read at the end about the you know, the pilings of snow, the White Sea and her riding on it, like it all it it, it everything becomes so the overwhelming sense that I got through these stories is of a sense of internal life and reality being very just like muddled in like a like in like a like pastel paintings on a blank canvas just kind of like finger painted like messed together 
everything is very muddled and blurry and you don't you you can lose track very quickly of when you're awake versus when you're dreaming versus when you're awake but something fucking weird is happening all like you know and all yeah. of those things kind of like run together in a way that that yeah i think that is generally pretty effective which just... is something i was not expecting well while reading this at all i mean because those are the things i like about and <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> expect to, to to have similar themes like that. Like I I, I like that kind of, I like that kind of thing a lot. Like memory kind of being um, confused with reality. Right? It's just like a weird, cool idea, but it also is kind of how we experience the world, especially if we're drunk all the time. Come on, Silicon <laughs> Valley, figure it out. <laughs> which capote was right right also, also that yes thematic it works i mean i also think um whatever i don't want to shoot all of my thematic uh, uh wad at the beginning here but um <laughs> it, it's a gun term matt is it maybe alec baldwin's bullets were filled with wads they're supposed to be yeah whatever i don't want to like make my i don't want to shoot hot ropes fully <laughs> no well, but the other thing that I think, it just because just we were speaking about his age when he wrote these a minute ago, um, these were all written in, like, a very politically charged time, theoretically, right? World yeah. War II, the end of World War II and the aftermath. None of that in any of these stories. I think Hitler's mentioned once as a kind of, like, as, like, a joke, like, someone was, like, running, like, you would think that they thought I was Hitler or something. But these stories mm. are all very, like, in, in the mid to late twenties, like way, very like self-centered, if that makes sense. Like they're very not in a bad way. That's not necessarily meant as a dig, but they're very like contained to the to to an individual mind or like at most a couple. Yeah. Yeah. What is the uh, what's the next story in the collection? Uh, I will tell you in one second. One, wow! Children on their birthdays. Okay, so that's I think that's the second to last for us, Matt. Yeah. Someone's gonna have to remind me though. I need I need to be kickstarted. I'll I'll talk. This one I can do the plot of this one if you want, Paul. I'll do it. Okay. This this is the one with um. Oh shit! I opened the wrong page. (laughs) Fail. This is the one with uh, Miss Bobbit. Who's like the ten year old girl, or whatever, who gets hit by the bus? Oh, I like this Remember one a lot. One? Yeah, this one's one of my favorites, actually. Yeah, I thought this one was, yeah. So basically, I mean, the story starts out. Uh, the first line is: Yesterday afternoon, the six o'clock bus ran over Miss Babbitt, or Bobbitt, and yeah. you you learn that Miss Bobbitt is kind of this like eccentric young little girl living in this southern town, which I think in this story it's not described. I don't think it, the setting is totally described. Um, no. But yeah, she's kind of kind of eccentric, kind of like weird. She's but she's also kind of like a popular figure in town. I would say people like generally maybe not like her, but at least know of her and are they know of her weird kind of quirky ways. They're she's forced to like, respect her. Yeah, which I think kind of is funny and adds to like her weird name like you think of miss bobbit and you think like well that's her like yeah exactly and she she insists on being called that by everybody yeah she's kind Um, of like she's to me she's kind of like this like um 
she's like a Shirley Temple type figure, yeah. right? Like this very yeah, I can see that. kind of like, uh, you know, not not as um, bubbly as Shirley Temple, and mm. um, certainly much more like um, ruthlessly capitalistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and but she's got of, like a soft kind of like a. Not motherly, but mate, maybe matronly. Yeah. Yes. Type attitude that like it was prominent in fifties women, I guess. Like you got to be like a, uh, you have to be an elegant woman and like do nice things for people. Like, I feel like that kind of element. She has in, a finishing school, character. but self-taught kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Perspective. I, I, right, and it's the it's this kind of classic. And she kind of like 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 blows into town, this, this anonymous southern town, with her mother kind of trailing behind her, who's like this old, very kind of like wayfish looking, like doesn't speak and is like like maybe foreign and and like eats things that other people don't want to eat. And she's the most mysterious character of the whole story, <laughs> right? And yeah. and she kind of captures the. Uh, the, the attention and the spirit of this whole like little town when she moves in and, and rents a room at the boarding house. Um, but in her own mind, this is kind of only, only a, a waypoint on her way to Hollywood, which is where she ultimately wants to end up and um, gets kind of close, which we can talk about. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most prominent scenes i remember from this one is um the little black girl who gets like bullied i forget her name i'm trying to find it right now i don't think she has an um, official name I thought uh, she no she does it's it's like rosa something maybe <laughs> there's a lot of characters give us a break people yeah there's a lot of there's names. a lot of there's eight stories Ro- rosalba cat sister rosalba, rosalba yeah. yeah which um, when i read that i was like was she in harry potter <laughs> it's like, is that a Hufflepuff name? Harry yeah, Bond? maybe. She's loyal as hell. She is loyal. But yeah, I mean, there's uh, obviously a lot of racial themes in this short story collection too, but I think one of the most prominent scenes that I remember from reading it was when Miss Cat gets kind of bullied by, uh, is it more than two boys? It was like Preacher. There's Preacher and Billy boy. Bob. Billy Bob. And they just kind of fuck with her. Uh, They're trying to kind of impress also Miss Bobbitt. Yeah, true. Through That's their method of like trying to be like, look at us. We're hot dudes. Yeah, doming. Yeah. Yeah, we're doming. Um, And their method of bullying is very like uh, Robin Hood men in tights. Like if you don't pass, (laughs) you got to pass the, you got to give us a toll Mm -hmm. to get your rolls or whatever. Um, but yeah, Miss Bobbitt kind of comes over and rescues her. And then there's a really awesome line where he's just like, and they were friends for the next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I thought was just like a weird, quick, clever jump in time, you know? Once again, like Miss Bobbitt, like, yeah, she's this, I think 13 year old girl who just like has this like plucky fucking like, you know, self improving self-taught kind of autodidact spirit which feels very american and she's in this southern town and like there's these all these people who are also you know very like salt of the earth and kind of like they're they're hicks and they're kind of like you know whatever uneducated blah 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 all the things you could pin to them 
and like Miss Bobbitt seems to uh, engage their better nature, like like yeah. the little boy Billy Bob, who seems to be the main character. Although the whole story is told through the perspective of like some. Uh, third party who I don't know, right? Like some maybe girl who's like potentially like also a little jealous of Miss Bobbitt. But the story is yeah. not told. It, the story is told through the perspective of like just some an, other kid. An unknown town yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. Sort and like and, Sandlot. and I, I don't know, like I don't think it's a, 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 a naive read to say like, Miss Bobbitt is kind of like the the story is also dedicated to someone who I didn't look up, uh, but um, this particular story, yeah, oh, something Lydon. Mine, do, mine doesn't have that. Lydon or Lyndon, but like, oh, Andrew Lydon. Yeah. So if anyone wants to elaborate on that, I I, I meant to look up that person, but I did not. Um. She kind of like whoever it is, they're not famous. Brings the best out, I would say, of the town and of these kids, um, for reasons that might just be like literal entrepreneurial pluck and self confidence. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, she has this kind of like m- mystical aura, I would say, or, or she's written yeah. that way, like around her, that as you say, Matt, kind of, like, draws people in and, and arguably changes them kind of, like, for the better, uh, maybe. But it, it's purely with this kind of sense of false charisma, that maybe not false charisma, but, like, a developed charisma that I think she got from her mom. Or was it aunt? Was it mom? Her mom? Her, her mom's the one with her, with? but she does not have any charisma. No, she doesn't, but I think that, like... <laughs> It's not at least it's not displayed, but like the the way the mom is portrayed, like you know, kind of having a different taste in food and having this idea that she's gonna like be a go out to Hollywood. I don't know. I was just kind of I was kind of actually thinking of The Great Gatsby a little bit, especially with the ending of her just dying abruptly. Mm-hmm. Like um, someone who is like is buying into the American dream in her own little girl type way. Yeah. Definitely. It yeah, seems mo- like uh, the, the, her and her mom, the relationship almost feels like a re- like a reverse stage mom relationship. Yeah. Where, like normally in those relationships, the, the parents are the ones who have these big dreams for their kids and they're like pushing them. It seems like in this situation, uh, uh, Miss Bobbitt is like dragging her mom along <laughs> whether her mom <laughs> wants to come along for it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. You're right. It's it's funny. It's like a reversal of that. But 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 this was the other story that had me thinking about like Paul already mentioned the whole American sort of dream narrative and the way it's like sold and 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 commodified and and kind of like you know used predatorily because of course one of the other big things that happens in the story is this guy comes to town this kind of like traveling showman. Yeah. Uh comes to town and he's putting on a show and and the big the big finale is going to be his his wife doing like a racy kind of like striptease type, <laughs> type show, which winds up being hilariously disappointing, and she gets booed, I guess. Um, but <laughs> but uh, 
you boom, know boom, the, the, the big boom, sell boom. the big sell there was that um, you know whoever won whichever one of the townspeople won the performance was going to get a live like a real stage audition for a Hollywood production of some kind of movie right? or a screen audition whatever they're called screen test or I don't know sure um, yeah and um, of course Bobbitt wins with uh, the way he described this scene I thought was great her doing this like you know cutesy but then also like showing her bloomers or whatever and and uh, just doing this big dramatic split with Roman candles going off singing uh, the the national star spangled yeah, yeah. banner and um, so she of course wins but then the the guy who is uh, pretty obviously telegraphed as a grifter um, just skips town and nothing happens and then Miss Bobbitt in her entre- entrepreneurial uh, spirit forms like a committee. I forget what it's called. It has a really funny name, but like a committee to track the, him down and hold the him committee. It's like the committee to lynch. Yes. The dude. Yes. It's pretty violent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and 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 you know he Capote goes through talking about her building like getting flyers and sending them out to all these different organizations in the kind of like regional area, and ultimately she's successful. The guy's actually caught. Yeah. Um, and some of the people who paid him get some restitution back in the town. Um, and, uh, of course, her first her first thing that she says to them is, uh, you should invest in something smart, like me, going to Hollywood, <laughs> talking to the like young boys in the town that get their money back. Yeah, and she might not be wrong. She just, she dies this tragic death. And that's, what, that's what's hard to... Uh, read in the in the story right because like billy bob and this other like very like kind of like preacher what is it preacher johnson or something yeah they're 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 violent they're these violent delinquent kids who potentially have like a good heart and uh they're both kind of crushing on on miss bobbit uh and uh, it's like their competing gestures of affection that seem to cause her death. I guess. And I don't know. I don't know what to take from that, but like they're both well, bringing it, these it, yeah, roses to her. It's a weird like. It's a weird like. Uh, dudes rock moment at the end because <laughs> they're like fighting and they hate each other, and yeah. then they're, and then they're both kind of like you know what, dude. Like fuck it, like let's just bring her the flowers together. Yeah, and she runs. Let's out not beef her. over some bitch. <laughs> <laughs> let's marry her together. Yeah, yeah. And, let's and, be and, and brother, you know, brother husbands. And then of <laughs> yeah. course, she she runs out into the road and is killed. I mean, I, you know, I, I think there's. I, I don't know if you guys read this dimension in the story, but to me, it was like a. Um, so there's uh, this is where the other kind of like magical realism stuff comes in here in this story for me because so for, so first of all the first story that I read is Jug of Silver which we'll talk about which is about another kind of like vaguely mystical child capturing a town's attention yep in in a very different way yeah um but in this story, which is developed a little bit more, Miss Bobbitt at a number of, at, at least one or two times, makes the point about essentially saying that she's made a deal with the devil. 
where yes, she talks that is about, a turn. She talks about um, I, I don't know if I have the passage highlighted exactly, but there, she uh, let's see. Yeah, I, I think I have it here. Like the devil is a good man who you can, uh, if you appeal to his uh, vanity, you can sort of be given gifts. Right, and and specifically. You have to know, uh, like, what the um, uh, what the devil's good at and what Jesus is good at. And so, if you want to be good at something, because she's like, she's like, Jesus would never be able to help me with dancing. That's only something <laughs> that, the, that the devil that the devil would be able to do. So I had to ask him to help me with that. Yeah. <laughs> and so for me, um, like. Uh, that to me adds this little weird, like bit of 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 of, of mystery and and kind of mysticality to the story because of course like what's the you know kind of classic like Robert Johnson like any of these like deal with the devil tales um, they all end in tragedy right because the devil's gonna take his his due and it's that classic like trickster kind of Faustian bargain. Um, and so I, I kind of read her being hit by the bus as like that deal kind of backfiring yeah. on her, if that makes sense. Because she, cause she does. She wins the competition. She, ha- she has this charismatic personality. She can dance. Like, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, the devil has lived up to his side of the bargain. Uh, yeah. But there's all this other biographical information that um, complicates it as well. You know, like her mom is this big question mark. She's uh, like by Miss Bobbitt's account, like kind of a deaf mute. <laughs> like she's except for the very end. When someone uh, gifts Miss Bobbitt a chicken as she's like about to go to L.A. to eat on the bus or whatever. Uh and uh, Miss Bobbitt's like mom, quote unquote, is like very willing to eat all the guts and gizzards and shit inside. She's yeah, like, a chicken, yeah. a chicken's a chicken. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she sounds at that last moment like she's very much got an opinion and very much is obviously capable of speaking. And like it's like uh, it's not quite as Miss Bobbitt says. Like there's something um, because uh, it was obvious right from the get go that there's something like uh, uh, superficial and kind of contrived. In Miss Bobbitt's uh, rendering of herself and pre- presentation of herself, uh, as though she's overcoming some embarrassing past of hers. Her dad is a uh, crook, right? Who's, Who's in, in jail? Prison, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, even from the get go, even though there's like a wholesome aspect to her presence in the town and what she brings out in uh, these other kids, like, it's it's from a place already that's compromised. Like, <laughs> like it's already it's already fucked up seeming. Right as soon as she right. arrives, which I think kind of getting back to the American Dream thing. It's just, like Paper Moon. I don't know if you ever seen that movie. I like, have not. Just a scam no. artist dad and like this like precocious kid and like uh, you know there's there's no real hope for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it's it's always that that false hope. Right. Uh, that's sort of embedded in this concept of the American dream that you see from Gatsby to this to 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 how many other millions of of works of art and literature. I just wanted to read this passage where she talks about the devil a little bit because I think it's pretty good. Do it up. Um, so this is this is where she's uh, she doesn't go to church, 
and she's come over um, to the house uh, to talk to the narrator after the rest of his family has gone to church. The odors of a church are so offensive, she said, leaning forward with her hands folded primly before her. I don't want you to think me a heathen, Mr. C. I've had enough experience to know that there is a God and that there is a devil. But the way to tame the devil is not to go down there to church and listen to what a sinful, mean fool he is. No. Love the devil like you love Jesus, because he is a powerful man and will do you a good turn if he, if he knows you trust him. He has frequently done me good turns, like at dancing school in Memphis. I always called in the devil to help me get the biggest parts in our annual show. That is common sense, you see. I knew Jesus wouldn't have any truck with dancing. Now, as a matter of fact, I have called the devil in just recently. He is the only one who can help me get out of this town. Not that I live here, not exactly. I think always about somewhere else. Somewhere else where everything is dancing, like people dancing in the streets, and everything is pretty, like children on their birthdays. My precious papa said I live in the sky, but if he'd lived more in the sky, he'd be rich like he wanted to be. The trouble with my papa was that he did not love the devil. He let the devil love him. <laughs> I love that turn of phrase, dude. I love that. Yeah. I also highlighted that. Yeah, it's a great, yeah. great sort of little monologue there. He let the devil love him. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's good. I do you wanna hit up the next story? Yeah, let's do it. We're Number three. We gotta keep it moving. We gotta we do gotta keep it moving. We're not even halfway. Oof. Yeah. Uh the next story in my book is you guys wanna guess? Uh fun if, game? Maybe they're going in, like, reverse order. Is it shut a final door? Yes. Okay, so so far they're going in Damn reverse game. order. All right. Reverse order, yeah. yeah. All right, what is this one about? Do you want to do it, Paul, or do you want someone else to? Uh, you guys can. I actually have to. P? <laughs> we never say it on the podcast. <laughs> I don't texted. know why. I just did. Paul messaged us P. <laughs> I wrote, I really have to, and then I wrote P. What the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> like, no one could really... infer. <laughs> you, just, you just pierced the veil for all the audience. Yeah, I'm losing my phone. Yeah, they only the hear two of us talking. It's I'll, I'll wait for a second. So no, 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 the illusion. No, I'll you wait. do. Why do would? That. What do you talk? This, why would you even wait then? If the illusion's broken, okay, I'll fucking go. I'm gonna just go. Pee, yeah, fucking, fucking piss, idiot. you fucking pee pee filled <laughs> bitch. All right. Okay. Go for water balloon. <laughs> pierce the veil, pierce the balloon. What was it again? Uh, the shut a final door. Oh, I don't. I actually, you know, like th this is just some sort of guy who's sad, right? Yeah, this is def. This is a about a sad boy who. Um, he, and he's also doing. Um, I guess I could tie it into whatever common thread we're attempting to run through all this stuff by saying like he is attempting to further his own professional prospects yep. right yep and like kind of climbing the corporate ladder and that is uh obviously at odds with genuine personal connections and he finds himself uh i i did get confused by the end of this like he finds himself pursued by something well right so this is so so yeah right it's kind of a chronicle of his um you know uh he gets this job at um some kind of business trying to climb the corporate ladder in the process kicks away the 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 partner the girlfriend who got him the job in the first place winds up kind of he keeps burning bridges yes he's burning bridges left and right this guy 
um, all kind of, both because of his own kind of like selfishness seemingly, and also because of his kind of inability to develop lasting, meaningful relationships, I think, right? Again, so we're seeing right. like this, this theme. Um, he starts hobnobbing a little bit with some high society type folks. Um, arguably, it's kind of a precursor to Capote's later life. It um, felt it felt the mo- it felt like one of the more autobiographical short yeah, stories. Yeah, yes, or like pre biographical because this is this would have been like before Capote even really was in that world. I guess <laughs> it doesn't matter though because you're yeah. always the fucking you, you know my life a movie. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's it's always kind of like that, right? right? Like my life's a story. <sighs> That's a spicy question. Check out the Discord. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, he winds up meeting this uh, high society woman. Um, what's her name? Margaret or Anna? Who I forget which one's which. Margaret first. Margaret first. Anna so later. And Anna. Okay, so Anna, um, and uh, you know, ultimately winds up like destroying that relationship, and and not really that not that it was really ever like a relationship relationship. She denies that it is. In what I thought was a pretty funny passage, um, well, he starts by like, like Margaret is the girlfriend of a guy, the first guy who ever is friendly to the yes protagonist, right? Irving, I think is his name. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. And like, so his first relationship is to Cuck and kind of uh, uh, the protagonist is named Walter, by the way. Betray. His first ever friend in New York. Yeah. So that's that's how it all starts. So it, you know it starts with uh, uh, a betrayal. He stabs him, right? Am I remembering that? They right? have they they have like the beginnings of a fight in the bar, but I don't think anyone's ever. Like, I don't think there's like violence. Yeah, no. Really? There might be a threat of that. Okay, he, I have the passage right here, so we'll we'll be proven right or wrong. All right, hit it. Go for it. I hate you. Then almost in slow motion, he swung out and it, as if he clutched, oh, as if he clutched a knife, uh-huh. struck Walter's chest. It was not much of a blow. And when Walter did nothing but smile, Irving slumped against the jukebox, screaming, fight me, you damn coward. Come on and I'll kill you. I swear before God I will. So that was how they left him. See, I uh, read that quickly and I thought he stabbed him because I didn't read it correctly. But anyway. No, Irving was a good <laughs> Irving was a good boy, and the 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 tragedy of that was that, um, as Margaret says, you know, now he's learned to hate, and that's yes. what uh, Irving is capable of, or not Irving, uh, Walter is capable of of doing. That's his special power, is that he's a, a piece of shit. He's like the opposite of Miss Bobbitt. He just brings out the worst in people and makes them yeah. the worst. Right, and he slowly climbs this sort of corporate ladder where he's uh, he I, he's able to identify like who will further his position. Mm-hmm. Like he's got that ability, uh, and ultimately Margaret, who he destroys his first ever legitimate relation, like friendship with in New York, to uh, to have, he then also fucks her over. And is like, okay, Margaret introduced me to these people, like Rosa, blah, 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 like some sort of high society woman. Anna, right? And and then also Anna, yeah, but yeah. Rosa, Rosa, like some sort of like fucking like, uh, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, her too. You know what I mean? Like Hampton's party. Uh, 
ultimately giving him a job at at a uh, like Mad Men style <laughs> like advertising firm. Some kind of like yeah. And from there, that's where I sort of get confused. It's like he's alienated everybody, and he, I think, still works at that firm. But well, he eventually gets fired. This this part I think was a little confusing. He gets fired for like um, it's it seems like kind of like planting like a fake news story or something about someone that gets published. Uh, that that was my read on it. And then, and then the boss finds out about it, and the boss is characterized as like kind of like whimsical in his affections anyway, and like is known known to like fire people based on like who's personal preference day to day, right? Um, but I think there was something where he he, uh, you know, bungles it and like does something really stupid and, and kind of like petty. Yeah, I can't remember. I'll try to find it, but 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 it's not. Um, it was not particularly clear to me, and it could just be like a like a honestly like a language thing almost because this was like a different time and there was like references to like a magazine. So like okay, hey, this is the part. So this is on the the very beginning of like subsection four, um, or chapter four. I don't know what you call it in the short story. Sub chapter, whatever, yeah. small chapter. Listen, the fan turning wheels of whisper. He said, you said, they said, we said, round and round, fast and slow, while time recalled itself in endless chatter. Old broken fan breaking silence. August the 3rd, the 3rd, the 3rd. August the 3rd, a Friday, and it was there, right in Winchell's column, his own name. Big Shot ad exec Walter Rainey and dairy heiress Rosa Cooper are telling intimates to start buying rice. Walter himself had given the item to a friend of a friend of Winchell's. He showed it to the counter boy at the Whelan's where he ate breakfast. That's me, he said. I'm the guy. And the look on the boy's face was good for his digestion. Um, so I, I don't know what Winchell is or who Winchell is. I'm wondering if that was maybe some kind of like famous newspaper columnist at the time or something. Because that, that sounds like a headline to me, right? Big Shot Ad Exec and Dairy Harris are telling intimates to start buying rice. I'm assuming that means he's... It's like a wedding announcement, right? Yeah. And so it's like a joke because him and Rosa are not engaged and are not going to like get married, but he's kind of like planting that out there to get his name in the newspaper was kind of my read on it. Yeah. I think, I think the main takeaway from this to me was like a conniving, untrustworthy person. Uh, is unwilling to deal with the fact that people perceive him as that correctly, basically. Right. That that was sort of my takeaway from that. It's like right at the beginning of the story. It's like, what is the first? What is the first line? Walter, listen to me. If everyone dislikes you, works against you, do, uh, don't believe you, uh, they do so arbitrarily. You create the situation for yourself. And there was like a little uh, bit down. It says, uh, what was the use of having friends if you couldn't discuss them objectively? And like... <laughs> that one hit me hard. Yeah. I, that was me. That was me in high school. Yeah. <laughs> that was me in high school. And so, I mean, I think it's like right there. I was there like, in the dude, f- you're, you're my best friend. I just think you're objectively a bad person. Yeah. It's like... 
You're my best friend, so why wouldn't I feel like you're sort of like a, a, a butterfly that I've uh, sort of shoved a pin through the uh, abdomen of? Uh, so I think I think that's sort of uh, the main thing at issue in this particular story is like yeah. Walt Walter sees these people as uh, stepping stones and and therefore like uh, he feels like he's um, reckoning with them objectively, but it's objectively. It's sub- it's subjectively. It's like you know he's like I know what I need to do to advance myself, uh, and the other shoe's and gonna he's ju- gonna drop. Well, that's what I mean. The other yeah. shoe's gonna have to drop for that because he's he's using people as a uh, means to an end instead of a means in and of themselves. And so 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 ultimately he gets fired and uh, from the job, and. Uh, He's like, all right, what am I like? I'm gonna take a vacation or something, and he's gonna go to this um, small town in upstate New York, Saratoga Springs, which he mm-hmm. went to, which he went to uh, as a child with his father, I think, for vacations. <clears throat> and um, so he gets there, <coughs> and he has like he has a series of like like some weird dreams, right? That are his kind of past coming back to, uh, like like infect the present, like we've been talking about a little bit. Yeah. And he gets this, so he has a bunch of these weird dreams, um, and he gets this phone call just before he's about to leave New York. Um, I'll just read this section. Uh, just as the music ended, the telephone rang. He simply stood there, afraid somehow to answer, and the lamplight, the furniture, everything in the room went quite dead. When at last he thought it had stopped, it commenced again, louder, it seemed, and more insistent. He tripped over a footstool, picked up the receiver, dropped and recovered it, said, yes. Long distance, a call from some town in Pennsylvania, the name of which he didn't catch. Following a series of spasmic rattlings, a voice dry and sexless and altogether unlike any he'd ever heard before came through. Hello, Walter. Who is this? No answer from the other end, only a sound of a strong, orderly breathing. The connection was so good it seemed as though whoever it was was standing beside him with his lips pressed against his ear. I don't like jokes. Who is this? Oh, you know me, Walter. You've known me a long time. A click and nothing. And so then he leaves and goes to Saratoga, uh, and then he doesn't really know anybody there. He has a weird dream on the on the, on the the train, um, and uh, he meets this woman at, at a hotel in Saratoga where she's um, she's like a cripple, not a cripple, not like a cripple, but has like a club foot, right? She has something, a club something foot. Wrong with her butt. And she's there to be essentially the uh, exhibit for her doctor to give like a medical talk on at a conference. Yeah. Um, like the and, elephant man. And they wind up talking. Yeah, exactly. They wind up talking <laughs> and, and they go up to her bed, her bedroom implicitly with the intention to have sex but he's like I can't I don't think I can do this with the club foot lady um, and then her phone starts ringing and he gets the same phone call that he got in New York before he left and it's this mysterious phone call and so he, now he's like kind of panicking and then he flees and he winds up in New Orleans at the end of the story and the, the story ends with the phone ringing again and him like putting a pillow over his head not wanting to answer it yeah, I, I don't think these are, like, fully mysterious in the sense that it's, like, it's people's consciousness or conscience or, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, yeah, it, yeah. it feels very clearly to me, like, that that's the, 
it takes various guises and like you, you know like the the contexts are different but at the same time it's like it's still people in communion with lost opportunity and uh, the consciousness of that right because even in another story which we're going to talk about Miriam like that's the same thing it's like yeah. uh, it's the, it's like a, it's both their double you know and they're kind of like yeah past. yeah so it's just like it's 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 to me it feels very much like this uh, engaging with the newly popular not n- completely new but like fully settled in to the i don't know public consciousness sort of freudian subconscious or conscious uh and it's it's a uh, It's reality as a concept in most people's minds now, right? I I don't know. That's that's the best I can do. Is like, Paul, I don't know. I don't know what you talk about this. This story felt out of all of them. I I agree with everything you're saying, Matt. In terms of like the the the, the, the role psychoanalysis is clearly kind of playing in some of these stories. Um, this story of all of them felt the most Murakami to me. Really. I think. Well, it, maybe it's just because it reminded me of a vi- of that very, very specific story in Men Without Women, which me and Paul reviewed on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to the Spinecracker's YouTube channel. Um, that story where at the end of it, it's, it's, it's a very similar thing, right? It's a dude in a hotel room, but there's like some presence like clawing at the hotel windows. You remember that story? Yeah. It, that's basically the same as the ending of this story. It's like being pursued by this unknown kind of entity that follows him to this lonely, lonely hotel room far from home and is like clawing to get in. Yeah. And actually the club foot reminded me of a different Mirakami story that you guys haven't read that I read in Florida called uh, South of the Border, West of the Sun. Because there was a woman in that story that was kind of like the main woman the guy was pursuing that had like, not a club foot, but she had like one leg smaller than the other, like a limp or something. And I just, that stuck out to me. But I actually, I wasn't thinking Murakami with this story. I was actually thinking a bit of Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky? Yeah. Yeah. Of just that, that kind of just like, I don't know, giving in to not the American dream in his novels, but like giving in to the idea that yeah, I'm just going to like be a cutthroat person. But then the guilt kind of forming within the dreams and then. The last ditch, yeah. like putting you, the pillow over your head because you just like <laughs> yeah. subconsciously suddenly feel the guilt of all your actions. You can't shut it out anymore. Can't shut it out. Yeah, the Raskolnikov thing. Right. Yeah. Don't murder. <laughs> don't, 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 don't. You'll feel hey. bad. <laughs> That's the because point. Because you'll that feel point. bad. O- official, spine, <laughs> uh, official Spinecrackers PSA. Guys, don't murder. Don't murder. There's this really, there's this artist that I like. Uh, sorry, this is a small tangent, but someone asked him on a Q and A on like Twitch one time. He was like, "What, what's the opposite of uh, love?" And he was like, "Don't, don't murder." <laughs> I thought I just thought it was the weirdest, funniest answer. That is a weird answer. Yeah. yeah who was this? That was Dave Raposa. Yeah. Shout okay, out. Other people yeah. know. Come on the podcast. I would actually like to get Dan Warren on the podcast. I think he might do it. It's like his co- David 
proposes like co-author for their comics. That'd be cool. Whoever you can nab, do it. Yeah. So, what else? Did, uh, yeah, I don't know. What else did you guys think about this story? Anything? <laughs> no, zero thoughts. No, it, it just felt like <laughs> we the, gotta move the, on. <laughs> it just it just felt like the like kind of like haunting thoughts of somebody who is uh, living their life fully to only further their their placement in some sort of professional setting. But also, you know, but also, like, it, it's not just, like, a full American psycho thing. He's also just, like, incapable of, of love, right? Like, it, partly because of that, but also because of just, like, some, I don't know, some, like, deep-seated, like you say, psychological issue. Um, which, again, right, that's kind of a theme. Yeah, there's a lot of like very hollow people. Yes, who are mi- who are missing some like key piece to them that like would allow them to be not constantly questioning whether or not they're living a correct life. You know right. what I mean? Yep. And I think this guy specifically, Walter, you know, that that passage that I read, uh, where it's he's uh, seeing this because the, when the story starts, and this is a it's kind of a. a literary thing that Capote does a lot like he takes you to the end of the story and then tells you the story and then goes back to the end right yeah. that happened in the that happens in the um, story about Miss Bobbitt where we literally find out in the first line that she gets hit by the bus at the end and then yeah. we hear the rest of the story and she gets hit at the bus at the end and she, he Tarantino's us yeah exactly and then yeah. I think uh, maybe the next story we're going to talk about has that same feature but this one does too where at the beginning he, you know, you see, not at the very beginning, but you see him in New Orleans on the, this hotel bed staring up at the ceiling fan and kind of contemplating the, like, cyclicality of it, right? And it seems like that's kind of his view of life, right? It's just, like, everything moves in a circle and no one's ever going anywhere and it's all kind of fucking pointless. <laughs> it's not time as a flat circle, it's time as a ceiling fan. Time as a ceiling <laughs> yeah, fan. That's what exactly. Nietzsche yeah. really meant. <laughs> a lot of ways to say it. <laughs> yeah. But he is. He's Russ Cole. He's he's Russ he, Cole by the is, end of it. He, yeah, a little bit. Well, Russ Cole has some. Russ Cole has a moral compass. compass. Yeah, he's a Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about him, and we're not doing it. <laughs> not yet. House ratings for him. I don't even know how we're gonna do that with this book. No. Yeah, uh, we. It's yeah. not. We have to. Oh God, that we're we'll no. skipping it two weeks in a row. Yeah, but it's okay. Well, some people say like that we know they don't even want to hear it. Yeah, we're, apparently we're that's true. That. You, <laughs> Later, yeah. yeah, absolute assholes. That's yeah. got to be a prank. Yeah, you're. I mean, that's us. the best part. You know of the whole who podcast. you are. You know yeah. who you are. Yeah. Where is Ashton Kutcher? You're punking <laughs> us. And what the one particular question you asked, sir? I have a great answer for. So stay tuned <laughs> next week, baby. <laughs> yeah, there's one guy who's gonna basically get a show all about yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, um, all right, Paul. What's next in your book? Wait, if it's if it, I, I'm now I'm curious if we are actually going in reverse order. So the next one going in reverse order for us would be the headless hawk. That is not it. Okay. Oh, damn! All right, what's, what's a, next in yours? Jug of silver. Okay. Jug of silver. Talk to me. Makes me wanna feel like a teenager. <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Mm. That sounds right to me. I don't know what you just did, but it sounds good. Yeah, LCD sound system. Oh. oh. Isn't it sound? Is it sound of silver? 
That's the. Alex yeah, I know. That's the joke. That's the joke. Okay, I don't know. I'm stupid. I don't fucking know. Fucking moron. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Uh, who wants to do this one? Matt, you do this one. I actually, I, I need help. <laughs> okay. Someone else in, do it. In more ways than one. <laughs> yep, yep. So someone else do it? All right, fine. Uh, I'll do this one. This is a, the first story chronologically, I think, in this collection, the first one that, that he wrote. Um, it's also one of the shorter ones that we read, I think. Um, it's about a small town in the south. Uh, the narrator is the nephew of the kind of general store owner in the town. Oh, the coin counting one. Yeah. And um, the uh, the owner of the store is getting some competition from a new guy who opened another store basically across the town square. And in an effort to drum up business, he buys this big, you know, big old jug of wine, drinks it, and goes to the bank and fills it up with uh, coins. I think nickels. I think it's all. Yeah. I think it's all nickels. Yeah. Um, and runs this contest for the town that. If you come in here, if you buy uh, the requisite amount, you know, of like 50 cents worth of stuff, you can guess, take a guess, and I'll write it down in my little ledger book of how much money is in the jug. And um, at Christmas, we will reveal the amount and whoever guessed the closest will get all the money. Um, and so business is booming. Uh, then this um, new kid kind of rolls into town or he's already kind of like lived in town but on the outskirts it seems like um yeah. and he becomes his name is Appleseed that's just his name that's all he's known by and then, and he has this young sister Mitty um and he becomes obsessed with this jug and he's like I'm going to guess I'm going to get how much is in there and uh they're like how you just Got, you just got to guess. And he's like, no, I'm just, I'm just going to count it. And they're yeah. like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and so he comes into the store like every day for like a couple months, sits there and just stares at this jug for hours. Um, and uh, Christmas comes. He finally ultimately puts down his guess, um, uh, which is $77.35. And... Uh, Christmas comes, and then ultimately, that's the exact amount of money that's in the jug, and he wins it, and that's basically the story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but... <clears throat> I mean, this story actually points to the American Dream theme pretty hard, too, right? Because, yes. I mean, once he wins, he becomes like a town hero, basically. Like, he, he made the winning shot at the yep. high school basketball game. Yes, yes. He becomes like a local legend. Yeah. And that points to like ideas of I don't know, just luck and uh, for like getting good fortune and all that sort of American dream shit. Right. Well, and also how like you know, because he just kind of like disappears after he wins. Like uh, one of the other themes or like sub subplots of the book, I think, or of that story, I guess, is uh, people want to know like, well, what are you, what are you, what are you going to do if you win the money? That's like what everyone's talking about in the town. Some people are like, oh, I'm going to buy a friggin boat or I'm going to go on a trip or whatever, right? And he he won't tell anyone what he's going to do with the money, but he gets it and ultimately one of the things that he does is buy his sister like a new kind of like artificial set of teeth because she has these, you know, and it's, I think there's a lot of like class elements to these various stories, whether it's upper class or lower class or, or whatever, various yeah. people trying to achieve, you know, even in the last story, 
Walter was kind of arguably trying to achieve a version of the American dream, climbing the corporate ladder, being the ruthless businessman, oh, et, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, right? And so here we have that on like a much smaller scale. But like you say, Paul, he, he has, you know, it's like the Bruce Springsteen, like glory days, dude. It's like someone, someone makes the winning shot at the high school basketball game or guesses how much money's in the jug at the big Christmas gathering and they're, uh, go down in kind of like local fucking lore, you know? Yeah. Well, also, it makes me think, too, of just, like, people that make a game-winning, or not a game-winning shot, but, like, a shot, like, a half-court shot at a basketball game. Yeah. And they're, like, a 38-year-old guy, and it's, like, <laughs> one of the, fa- like, on their deathbed, you know they're going to think of that as, like, one of the top five <laughs> things. Maybe even above getting married or whatever for the, some right. of these people. Right. And it's just, like, incredibly, like, it's understandable, of course, because we're Americans or whatever, but it's also just, like, it is a depressing thought, isn't it? Well, and it also, I mean, I think it also speaks to one of the other themes that Capote is getting at a lot in a lot of these stories is that, like, most people's lives are, like, pretty, like, small. You know what I mean? Like, your, success, yeah. your, your successes and your failures are all, are always kind of, like, me, like insignificant in the, in, in the kind of grand scheme of, of things, as it were, if that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely, and so I think I don't know that that to me that to me was part of it too. But but I, I, I again I think this story has class elements. I think that it has a, a kind of political undertones, very light political undertones, I guess, because these these kids are kind of like the dirty kids from out in the sticks who have to walk eight miles into town every day just to be there and sit and look at these coins, and it's like this. It becomes this like fetish object. You know what I mean for him. Um, well, it reminds me a bit too of the pearl. I would say, yeah, right? yeah. Thinking about like, uh, he, he, you know, the lottery the, themes of the pearl. And... Appleseed doesn't really become like morally corrupted in the same way that uh, uh, what's his name in the pearl? Fuck. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been three weeks, dude. And it's, and it's poof gone. <laughs> it's poof. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Might as well never read it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't become morally corrupted in the same way that that guy does in that book. But, no, but um, also it's such a. It's a very short story. This one, right? It's like a, you're just getting a little bit of a brush of a sketch of the theme. I think. I think the uh, one of the big things, though, right, is like Kino. Simi- similarly, Kino. Nice. Dude. Similarly, um. You get a sense that the uh, environment in which this person, uh, Appleseed or Kino, no matter who you're looking at, like they're not they're not in a uh, they're not in a world that should be. <laughs> they're they're in an environment that is against them to an unnatural degree. Yeah, and it's and it's fabricated, and it's not necessarily what needs to be the case. And like, I think that's true of both of those stories, and that's what a, a common element of both of those stories. I mean, it's basically because, like I mentioned, you know, Appleseed uses a big chunk of the money to get his sister new teeth, right? And, to be a movie star, which is to be a movie star, right? Which is a connection to the other story, yeah, Miss Miss Bobbitt. And um, so, but like, it's basically the modern day equivalent of like someone gets like some grievous injury and they have to fucking start a GoFundMe for healthcare, and yeah. that's basically what what Appleseed is doing, trying to get this money for his sister's teeth. Right. Yeah. 
I also wanted to just make the connection that, that again, with some of the like spooky weirdness that's going on in all of these stories to me, I don't know why that stood out to me so much, but I, I immediately was like magical realism. These are weird and spooky, but, but for me in this story, one of the recurring things that Appleseed keeps saying is like, Oh, this, this mystical woman back home told me that I have special skills because I was born with a, a, a call on my brain. And so he, yeah. in the, in a very similar way to Miss Bobbitt, is this weird, like, kind of pseudo-mystical kid that comes into town and, like, captures everybody's attention um, because of, in her case, right, this deal she made with the devil, and in his case, because of some mystical premonition that he got from somebody from when he was a kid. It's this beautiful combo of, like, that and then some grounding just tragic very physically grounded thing just like, like poverty porn well just like you know i yeah i'm like like i, I, fa- that's I found a, that's a term i assume <laughs> yeah that's a t- that's okay a term. That's it a term. is it's okay. like it's like when you glorify like not glorify but like try to make romantic like life in poverty or people who are in poverty or or whatever yeah it's like, okay. yeah, you know, this kid is Appleseed's like, you know, I found this gypsy and she was like, uh, you have, you, you know, you have an omen, you have a call on your brain. She was or, 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 or it's like, wants to do the Capote voice again or the, I'll do, I'll try the, voice. I'll try the Capote voice in a second. <laughs> God. It's fun to try. Uh, you know, or, or it's, it's Miss Bobbitt and it's like, her mother, it's like, what the fuck's going on there? And I, and I kind of appreciate that about those two, these two stories. It's like, there, there's never something far from your mind about the grounded, weird sadness and sacrifice of something, somebody, some, you know, person. So even Appleseed, you you know, you're like, where, where where the fuck did this kid come from? Who the fuck is this like weirdo, right? Who is potentially yeah. taking advantage herself or himself of his credulity to say that he's some sort of a uh, uh, chosen person for for something positive, and then like she's not part of his family, he's not part of his family. So like, what what the fuck? What's going on? Well, I mean, and that also adds to the. Uh, a thread throughout the stories too that I don't totally know how to grapple with is again in this story there's a a little kid that seems to have these mystical or at least interesting ideals to them right and we're going to get to another one soon about there's a purity of focus there's like a purity of uh, of uh uh, I think there's a tragic sense of possibility with these kids. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I feel like maybe that's, it's, that's true for both. Or maybe Truman Capote was like a fan of Asian horror films and just thought that kids were scary, like The Grudge. Like sixty years later. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, Miriam could definitely be The Grudge. Yes, right? yeah. or Ringu well, or something. You know. Yeah, yeah. Miriam Actually, could be Samara very easily. Oh, totally. Yeah. If that t- if that story was titled Samara, I'd be like, hey. You'd be like, it. correct. <laughs> correct. Correct. <laughs> correct. 
Actually, what is one the... thing about the about Jug of Silver that I wanted to mention that I I couldn't get out of my head was I just I was just picturing like this is like a David Blaine skit or prank. <laughs> <laughs> I did like <laughs> like he just goes into a town. And he's just like, I'm gonna guess how many fucking coins are in here. I'm gonna do it, and he spends like six months studying how he could possibly like add right. up the coins, and then he just does it. I'm I'm a fan <laughs> of David Blaine. I think David Blaine's. Oh, cool. me too. Actually, I think he's awesome. I mean, he did he get me too though? Did he? I think he might maybe. All I know is he just did dumb stuff that wasn't necessarily magic. He's like, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna be uh, uh put me underwater. Yeah, well, he fucking, like, broke the world record for, like, two years for holding his breath with, like, oxygen. <laughs> it's like, It was awesome. And, he, and he, he had, like, a weird... He, I watched his TED Talk, and he was like, I actually thought about how I could cheat and do this while cheating, because I've... He was like, I've literally cheated and done... Because I'm a magician. I, like, cheat, obviously. Yeah. But he was like, I'm just going to do it. And he, like, fucking did it. But it, he is a funny character, though, because, like... Wait, we're His whole David deal Blaine. is just we're yeah. Like, I went, <laughs> his whole deal Welcome is behind just the like scenes, people. His whole deal is just like my mom believed in me from when I was five years old, so I can do anything. Like that's his whole persona, and that's why he's a magician. Because his that's mom not that's in him. not not apropos of what we're discussing. True, you know. Yeah, it's kind of true. Sorry, I'm if you have some delusional page. parent, his mom told him he had a call on his brain. <laughs> yeah. If you have some uh, idiot delusional parent who's, who's willing to be like, uh, you know, uh, you can be in a uh, oxygen oxygenless cube of plastic for longer than anyone. Yes. So the next story yep. is you guessed it, Matt. Miriam. Okay. It's Miriam. So this is a this is one of the hitters from this collection. I like this very much. This is just about an old woman, older woman, not necessarily elderly, but older, living alone, uh, who is uh, haunted by, essentially, like, she's not albino, but she's just this ghostly, blondie child. I was, picture- I was basically picturing Damien from The Omen, See, but, like, I was picturing- but in female form. No, I was picturing more like uh, the brood with the Cronenberg. I was picturing weird, just the like ghost blondie of weird present. kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was picturing the ghost of Christmas present. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. Or no, what, what? What was the uh, what was the creature we had just looked up? Gabe? the change a changeling. A changeling. changeling yeah, I, yeah. I thought of like a sort of changeling with her. Changeling. Yeah, she. Well, she so, kind of is, right? She kind of so, is. Well, okay. So, what's the pl- What's the plot here? What happens? Uh, basically, there uh, there's an old woman, like Matt said, not maybe too old, but oldish, single, kind of like uh, she just has like kind of a repetitive life, and she just does her own fucking thing over and over again. I believe a widower, right? I think. Yeah, I think so. I think. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you said it. Wow, like that. I'm dude. sorry. I thought you, I thought you said it like that. What if okay. I did? Who cares? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, Asshole. basically, this like young. I'm, no, <laughs> man. I love you. I'm sorry. 
Matt, he was just uh, analyzing you as a friend objectively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this uh, young 10-year-old girl, Miriam, comes into her life in a weird way and just kind of just like starts sticking around. Yeah, it's and, so weird. <laughs> and it's just like, well, it's it's like a, a snowstorm or something, or a rainstorm, and she's just like, she's like insisting on staying and... um. She's like, I want food or whatever. Can I stay here? And and the old woman's kind of like, No, like, why are you here? Get out of here. Um. But uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought a little bit. But well, the way they first meet is pretty innocuous, right? Like this 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 uh, woman decides to kind of go out, uh, Mrs. Miller, Mrs. H. T. Miller. Um, I'm assu- who I'm assuming is like that's the old convention of like if someone calls you, it's like. My wife back then would be like Mrs. Gabriel, whatever, because it turns out that that Mrs. Miller's first name is also Miriam, which is also the young girl's yeah. name, which is yeah. obviously significant. Um, so Mrs. Miller, you know, she makes a point at the beginning, or Capote makes a point at the beginning of, in describing her, like her actions are rarely spontaneous. She's just like this, just like she's just having a normal one, like constantly, basically. Yeah. And uh, she's like, I'm gonna go out to a movie tonight. And she goes out to the movie, and this there's this young girl there who's just kind of, like, standing around. And she's like, hey, uh, can I ask you a favor? Can you just buy me a ticket? Because they won't let me in without a adult guardian or whatever. And she's like, yeah, sure, fine. And then I think they go in, and the girl starts giving her weird-ass vibes. And then she, yeah. like you said, Paul, there's, like, a big snowstorm, and she shows up at her house dressed very inappropriately for, for, the, for the weather, like, late at night. And it's like, hey, can I just come in and hang out (laughs) and she does and then things happen we can read some sections and so on and so forth but but then she comes back with a trunk of her things and she's like yep i live here now and like uh mrs miller kind of like freaks out she goes to get the neighbors like there's this creepy kid in my house and they won't leave and the neighbors (laughs) oblige and go check and there's no one there and uh then miss miller goes back up and um, starts to kind of like drift off, and the ending is very ambiguous, right? Because she is drifting off into this kind of dreamlike state, which again is this recurring situation for Capote, where these characters are like in this liminal space between. Wait, what? What happened? Can you not hear me? Oh, I can't hear either of you. Fuck, hold on. After these messages, we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Uh, we had some uh, technical issues, as is wont to happen. Yeah, like you do, as one does. So well, anyway, a, I was just a, a Zoom podcast life, you know, it just happens. Yeah, yeah if you if you're not if you're not like technically engaging, you're not having zero technical problems, right? Yes. Yeah, Elon Musk says that all the time. Dude, you just blew my mind, bro. Dude, <laughs> make sure to hold and inhale. Yeah. Right, so, so anyway, I was just finishing up describing the plot of Miriam and uh, saying that the ending of the story is ambiguous because Mrs. Miller is kind of drifting off in this dreamlike state that Capote likes to describe, and she has some feeling or some sense, some kind of vibe that something's happening. She hears like a, a bureau door close or something, and... Um, she opens her eyes, and then the ending of the story is just like Miriam says hello 
or something. Yeah, once again, it's like the telephone being right that we discussed prior. It's like a conscience almost, like a person who is engaging with some aspect of themselves that they don't really want to. See, I didn't, I have a, I have a, go ahead, Paul. You have spicy read. I have a spicy read. Maybe that maybe you got, I thought you would have read this the same way I did, but I thought Miriam was death. Oh shit. Okay. I thought Miriam was visiting Mrs. Miller and death was approaching her. And when she says hello at the end, it's because she had died and she's like in fucking, I don't know, purgatory or Deathland or whatever. She was I mean, it could be. I mean, it's also interesting because in one of the stories that we have left to discuss, there's like, there's a pretty vivid image of like a, a younger version of one of the characters as like a yeah. homunculus demon on their back. And it, I wonder, we don't get really anything about Mrs. Miller's childhood in this story, but you wonder about what the kind of memory or connection, you know, cause she's kind of, kind of written as like, kind of like, like I said, like just a, like having a normal one, but also kind of like a lonely walled off person um, who doesn't really like get out or talk to people. And so you wonder what kind of like revenant might come back for her from her previous or you know previous lives i suppose okay the main reason i thought miriam was death is there's a line that i'm trying to find right now where miriam is is trying to kiss mrs miller goodnight and i just thought kiss to death right is it that clear true true and then but and mrs miller kind of like she's like no like no don't kiss me and i just kind of saw that as like her kind of fending off uh, the inevitable death that is coming to her in her boring ass life. I definitely buy that. Yeah. That that makes some sense to me for sure. And I mean, like, you know, she, it's interesting because I wonder if like, I, I think death is definitely a plausible reading because at the, at the very end before Miriam, uh, you know, reappears. There's this, there's this paragraph that I thought was both, you know, like good, well-written and, and good to read, but also maybe speaks to some of this stuff. Suddenly closing her eyes, she felt an upward surge, like a diver emerging from some deeper, greener depth. In times of terror or immense distress, there are moments when the mind waits as though for a revelation while a skein of calm is woven over thought. It is like a sleep or a supernatural trance. And during this lull, one is aware of a force of quiet reasoning. Well, what if she had never really known a girl named Miriam, that she had been foolishly frightened on one street? In the end, or on the street, in the end, like everything else, it was of no importance. For the only thing she had lost to Miriam was her identity. But now she knew uh, she had found again the person who lived in this room, who cooked her own meals, who owned a canary, who was someone she could trust and believe in, Mrs. H.T. Miller. And so it's like Miriam is this weird, like spectral double of Mrs. Miller. And I, I and again, I'm like, I'm maybe I'm obsessing about it a little bit, but I feel like that 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 naming convention 
because I'm assuming HT, there's nowhere in there that could be Miriam. That's got to be her husband's name. But that's the identity that she has, is adopting as like the thing that's grounding her. I live alone. I cook my own meals. I'm the, I am the wife of this dead man. And it's almost like her first name is coming back to haunt her in a way in, in this like spectral child. And I don't know if that's like a feminist point or something or, or what exactly, what he's going for there exactly. But I feel like the naming has some significance here. Well, it's, it's almost like, the haunting notion of an anti-feminist life right is like if you're if you do claim or think of yourself as just like the widower of your husband is that like it's just widow right widower widow, is a yeah. husband yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well gender's not real so i, I said it. i made that i did the same mistake before so <laughs> i i think i yeah i heard you say that so i said it again because i'm a parent um or a canary, like Miss I'm Miller. a canary, yeah. yeah, good tie-in. But yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's Capote trying to say, like, you, you failed at your life and you and death is coming to you because you deserve it or something. Well, and again, there's that, there's that same line, like, not, not the exact same line, but something that was, like, I, like the, one of the first passages I read. Just, just these throwaway lines that Capote puts in there that I think are, like, pretty telling in the end like everything else it was of no importance it's like all of this shit none of it matters it's all this like flat ceiling fan rotating in some anonymous hotel in fucking new orleans and we again just go through all this weird shit and nothing's different at the end of it we were talking i was talking to you about this the other night gabe a couple weeks ago this is how i feel about life in general so I'm a big Capote <laughs> fan after this. That nothing, that nothing matters. Yeah. 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 Um, that looks what, deep what, in why, thought right now. What, what, why did you guys like this story so much? You both said you enjoyed it a lot. Matt, you go first. Well, just um, for me, just the image of like a uh, a ghost that kind of is this uh i think it's important like this sort of child right because like this ghost of 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 closed doors like you you've made all these decisions in your life again this feels so much like the work of somebody who is the age that truman capote is uh you know late 20s mid 30s span where you go I had all these visions for myself. I had dreams, you know, like the other story we were talking about. Uh, And I made decisions that made certain of those dreams impossible to ever realize. And that's just a sort of reality. And that's, that's something that someone wrestles with for the first time around the time Truman Capote was writing, right? You know, right. for us, it's like, which I, I don't know. Part of the significance of the title of the uh, the last story, "Shut a Final Door." It's like, yeah, life is in some ways like a process of shutting doors 
both both you know by choice but also just like by the passage of time right like there are doors that are just shut inevitably after a certain period of time right like no no one in this room is ever like no one in this conversation is ever going to be a professional athlete that door has been shut right no I mean, no one I beg, to, I beg to differ okay <laughs> <laughs> right that's fine yeah yeah, yeah. go go off king uh, <laughs> but but like things you know happen where as you say that like but i think that there's like this there's a deep fear in a lot of Capote's characters of other people, but of also of the doors that might still be open for them, whether that's with love or with sort of just like making human connection. And, and there's like a preemptive wanting to close those doors. And I feel like Mrs. Miller is like deeply afraid of like something. I don't know what it is. Life, people, I feel like she's afraid of of the of of just the reckoning. Period. It's like some of these stories are about like what happens when you make a choice and the limits you have as a person. Miss Miller, it feels, and this is a an early story. Like I think this was written a couple of years. This was a more early story than the one we were reading before. Like well, apparently this is like his the first one of the collection that he yeah. So okay, perfect. So like yeah, it just it definitely feels like the most vague in the sense, not in a bad way, but like the most um broad. Like here is a person who is probably 20 years older than Truman Capote who's writing in his conception, uh reckoning with all the things that they've let slip by. Yeah. And just literally being haunted by that in the form of a like a uh, changeling weird ghostly girl that is like the childhood dead dreams of uh, this person. All right, next story. We got three more. We got to move here, people. Yeah, oh what, the fuck's, what, what the, the fuck's next? What the fuck's next? What the fuck's next? Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. This is the it's one that I. It's taking too long. Go. What's the next one? This is the longest one of the collection. It's no. The I read half of, so you guys can take this one away because I. We're gonna take. We're gonna infuriate everyone and take the least amount of time with this dumb story. The headless hawk. The headless hawk. What is this fucking? Uh, uh, some Horror fucking yeah, or... yeah, some fucking uh, <laughs> some fucking dude buys a painting and it's like uh, this is a hawk has got no head. What is this Edgar Allan Poe bullshit? What the yeah. fuck? Next story. Okay, I, I'll be I can be quick summarizing this one at least, but uh, I I do think this is one that we could talk about for a long time. I got to put my cards. On I know we did we did wait too long. Yeah. Um, but it's it's about it's it, it opens with this guy Vincent. Uh, sort of like seeing this again, kind of this weird spectral woman around and he sees her in like a storefront and, and he kind of like is vaguely following her or whatever. And it turns out, but then we go to like a flashback and he, this is a woman that he was in a relationship with. He's like the manager of an art gallery and um, she comes in kind of disheveled and um, uh, all kind of, you know, out of sorts um, and tries to sell a painting, right? Uh, 
and it's this painting, this like weird kind of like folk arty painting. And there's like a beheaded body and a hawk that's painted like without a head. Um, and they, he, he, she leaves, she leaves him this cryptic way to contact her. She's like staying at the YWCA. He can't get in touch with her. A few months go by. He finds her again. They develop this relationship. It becomes increasingly clear that she's like, maybe like a mental institution escapee or someone who was yeah. in, in a mental institution at some point and was released because she keeps re- referencing this um, Mr. Destronelli, who <laughs> we we assume was the kind of like a uh, uh, person who ran the place and was maybe potentially like abusive. And she thinks that this person is coming to find her and kill her essentially at all times. Right. And, you know, he asks her at one point, like, who is this person? And she's like, well, he looks like you or me or anyone. He's, he's everywhere. He's everybody. And um, ultimately, of course, the relationship ends. He kind of just like packs up her stuff and leaves it outside the door. Uh, and of course he's characterized as th- this being sort of one in a long series of like relationships for him that have failed. And also that have been with um, shall we say eccentric people that he has always wind, wound up kind of hurting and betraying, right? Um, and then at the end, which is sort of the very end of the story, wraps around again to the beginning, and she's kind of like following him around, walking behind him, haunting him, and they sort of meet under a streetlight in the rain and just kind of stare at each other. And I think we don't really know if this is the actual person, right, or the sort of memory that he has of this person that's, that's, uh, you know, haunting him. Why do we, why do we need to go further? Let's just do the next story. All right. Good, good summary though. Yeah, that was a great summary. It's a good story. There's some interesting parts. Uh, there's a, there's a really interesting dream sequence. This is what I was referencing in the last story where he's at a party and he sees about everyone he knows with like weird demon homunculus versions of themselves clinging to their back and i think significantly this is where i think the death the like like dealing with death thing is important as a theme is because the version of himself that's clinging to him is like this old decrepit version of him but the version of this girl that he's been involved with the her demon is a younger version of herself so it's like her life has been uh, uh uh affected by her previous trauma and his life is being affected by his imagined kind of projected trauma in the future, specifically like the inevitability of death. So, anyway, yeah. 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 I think the takeaway is like, he's an, another one of these adrift people yes. in New York city. Right. I think that's another common theme is just yeah. the city. And it's just like, but there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of like uh, uh, imagery trying to, evoke deep sea underwater i'm at sea i'm in this alien you know oceanic medium it's it's a call it's like a callback to that metaphor from uh miriam where mrs miller is described as like a diver coming up from this green depth you know and i feel like this, this guy is down there and kind of stays there the whole time or just like the the difference between what what each the male character and the female character see too is is kind of like a Freudian thing too for to me too. It's like 
male trauma it tends to be like a projection and female trauma can lead towards the past potentially maybe maybe i'm leaping it could be I'm trying, it could I'm be trying a to get to the next story point. yeah all right next story let's go <laughs> what is it okay what's the name of it it's yeah, got to be my side of the matter there's only two left so it's my that is true yeah this is my most uh question mark story this was weird as shit it's just a guy who seems to be grandstanding who's who's has an epic almost mythological account of his somewhat sordid actual situation right yeah so it's basically about this guy who married this this um you know young they're they're all young they're like 16 17 maybe and they get married and they go back to um her uh Marge is is the girl that he marries. Um and they go back to her house and she has these two like like crazy like demonic aunts who hate him from the beginning. They make him sleep outside on the porch and uh it's his kind of chronicling of how their relationship develops and ultimately they wind up in this huge fight where they're attempting to kill him with their grandparents like mounted civil war saber and he's like standing on the piano and he like runs up to the bedroom and barricades himself in and that's kind of where the story ends yeah and and I, this one i i have to say i did not really know what to make of me either yeah same except for like maybe just like a kind of funny way of describing someone's like epic account of their right. actually pretty lame and sordid life. And I think also this guy also kind of serves as like a prototype for some of these other characters where they're, he probably is in the wrong in some things and in certain things that he's done, but he's the victim. He's the the center of the story and all these people just hate me. He's kind of like a preview of, of Walter in a way. Yeah. Weird fucking story. Yeah. If anyone's a Truman Capote uh, podcast, bring on the show. Yeah. There is like a Truman Capote YouTube guy that isn't great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's ignore him. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm not naming you. I'm sorry. All right. Final story. Yeah. All right. It's a tree of night. The title story. Paul, what's it about? I don't want to do it. Why? Because I don't remember very much at this moment in my life. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. I'll take a shot. So this is a story uh, about a young woman, Kay, who's going back to college after I believe her uncle's funeral. And she sits down in a dining car in a train at the, you know, this is like an overnight train ride. And um, there are these, this is weird couple kind of sitting across from her yeah. this woman. And basically this, this man who's sort of like, not, not completely uh, like, not, not like a paraplegic, like immobile, but like oddly like, immobile and like leaning at a weird angle just kind of like sitting there doing nothing and clearly has some kind of like physical ailment right 
Um, they initially start talking to her. The woman like kind of tries to have some banter and, and eventually pressures her into getting a little tipsy on some gin. And the, uh, the guy kind of becomes increasingly creepy and like looking at her and the woman like grabs her wrist at one point and refuses to let her leave. Um, it turns out that they're again, a, a recurring kind of character trope, this kind of like traveling, like grifter couple who do this yeah. show where the guy is like buried alive and it is risen <laughs> as Lazarus. Well, they put, doesn't he go into like a storefront too for like a day and yes, just yes. sits there and doesn't eat and just yes. like stares. He's like a live mannequin. He's like his own hype project, right? He's hyping, <laughs> he's hyping up the later, exactly the later event. <laughs> and eventually they try to sell her this um creepy what is it a pumpkin seed it's not a pumpkin seed Matt, Matt's, Matt, Matt got guy. I don't know why it's just funny it's funny it's just so, a funny it's a funny couple to be have to talk yeah. to yeah it's, it, it's a very it's very eerie uh, it's a very eerie and creepy story and um, he I forget what kind of uh, what, what, what kind of seed it is or what it is that he tries to sell her it's like a little it's like a love charm right yeah um, it's not yeah it's not just like pumpkin seeds it's no like but but it's potion it's, it's, like well, potions yeah. like the class in harry potter and i i think I yeah think it, i think it is some kind of <laughs> some kind of seed or something i i don't remember exactly what it is uh okay here it is peach it's a peach seed and he starts playing it playing with it in this like creepy like vaguely sexual way and like showing it to her and um, turns out that they they want her to buy it as a kind of like love charm. And she's like just freaked out and she gets up and goes out onto the observation deck of the train uh, in the cold and kind of has this like flashback memory of this like spook story, this ghost story that her parents would tell her as a kid about this like wizard man who would come for her in the night yeah. and, and like break into her room and and, you know, and so she's like reckoning with this childhood past and kind of having it all flood back to her. And the guy just kind of like shows up behind her and she's like terrified. But, you know, it's kind of implied, I think, that the guy's like ultimately harmless and just weird. And they're just kind of like grifters. And she goes back in and sits down and um, kind of like drifts off and falls asleep in this like weird, dreamy, like potentially gin induced haze. Um, the grifters steal her purse and then put a raincoat over her head. And that's, that's the story. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think this one is one of the ones where most explicitly like memory and childhood trauma kind of come up, not trauma specifically. We don't know exactly what happened, but like, she's clearly like a, a person who is afraid in general. Like she's just like a, a, a kind of, high-strung fearful person i think okay yeah and she's correct to be so at least in like the context of the story because she gets roped into this thing with these people yeah and they and they and they do con her you know they they do right but it's also like how how much of our fear is like um warranted and how much of it is like imagined or manufactured Right. I feel like that's also like a balance that's happening here. The confidence, man. 
Yes. Well, right. We'll get to also, that in a couple weeks. Also, do, uh, fear is the mind killer. Yeah. Dune. <laughs> Dune, dude. Dune, fear is the mind killer. Um, but, I mean, on a realistic note, I do think that, like, uh, we haven't brought up the word neuroses yet, but that right. I feel like that's a good word to describe most of these stories, actually. It's just, like, Capote's innate neuroses. Maybe yes. that he he has, but it's how he because he had a kind of a fucked up childhood. People. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I would say like um, it's Boy, that tension. It's that tension between like you not wanting to think the worst of people, while you yourself having been sold a false bill of goods and kind of uh gassed up and delusional in certain ways in your own perspective of like what what's to be expected in the future for yourself like what you can can do meeting these people who are also complicated con artists uh like you know uh people who are out with an angle to kind of dupe you and and uh extract something from you but for reasons that are valid and that are almost weirdly like dovetailing with your own with your own problems i think that's most importantly right like people who uh are enmeshed in the same quandaries and in the same system that creates the questions that you're trying to answer they're doing the same they're trying to answer them themselves and uh they're doing it at your expense Right. And and it's and it's this like weird uh relationship between that 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 is like what feels to me like a lot of the Capote stories. And well I would also add that this one specifically has like what I think is a pretty explicit class dimension because on a few occasions this this couple they're like oh you must have a bunch of money fancy rich college girl like going off to college and and we're just these uh you know trying to make a trying to make our way out here uh uh, in the world, and um, there's the, I think there's that tension that exists between these these characters as well. Yeah, people with ambitions that have a, a class dimension, American dream, right? And then the small towns, and it's like, yep. what do you what are you doing? Getting big for your britches? You talking <laughs> down? You talking down to me? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But then sometimes they are. Yep, that's the thing too, which I like. It's like you know, sometimes they are. They're like. They're delusional too. They're just delusional on a uh, societally accepted higher plane. But it doesn't matter. It's the same dupe. It's the same con being run on them. Con air. By society. Sure. Con air. Yeah. Which we live in. <laughs> All right. We should, do, we should do an episode on con air. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I would. <laughs> Uh, all right. As predicted, this went long. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, yeah. Short stories are difficult because and, it's and just like nothing short about them. <laughs> apologies to the uh, short stories that got the the, the uh, short shrift here towards the end, but uh, yeah, I think I think you get a sense of Capote's style here. You get a sense of some of the themes he's interested in. Um. Yeah. 
And just because we rushed through the last four doesn't mean. I mean, I really, I really enjoyed this a lot. We only rushed through the last three. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think like, for instance, the headless hawk or whatever. It's like, I would say his power to evoke the feeling of experiencing the things we've been sort of brushing over is is the strength of the you know stork short uh fuck me the short story collection in general (laughs) (laughs) is the strength of the storks (laughs) (laughs) i'm drunk like i'm drunk like truman capote the headless stork (laughs) yeah exactly uh all right so i i think the consensus was um that it, despite it being everyone's favorite segment, no matter what anonymous, cowardly Instagram messengers say. <laughs> just kidding. We really cowardly. It. Just kidding. You're not cowardly. We appreciate Challenge to real fights in the real world. That's right. Instagram messengers. That's yeah. right. Come get it back in blood, baby. Let's, let's have this out. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, just kidding. We love you and appreciate you. You know who you are. We are going to skip by consensus the Harry Potter segment tonight because there are too many characters and we don't know very much about most of them or enough to put them in a Harry Potter house. Probably most yeah. of them would probably be like Slytherin or Hufflepuff. Either, <laughs> yeah. either they're Gabe wants to do a quick personal, quick. It, it, they, yeah. like all of these characters are either like um, transparently self-interested in like a vulgar Slytherin way or like transparently just like down and out, like, don't even want to leave the house and just have a normal one. America Slytherin. Yeah. Which means we're skipping straight to the blockbuster segment, which is scores dibs not first. (laughs) Oh, well, that's just me. Just you. Fuck! Okay, uh, here we go. And we're also skipping the... uh... Oh, I did segment. have a few words. Okay, whatever. We it's fine. We, we can skip it. It's too yeah, long. Yeah. It's too long. Next ep- next it's episode, long. we'll do it. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and give this a uh, a three point seven. Oh shit! Really? I had a good time reading these, man. Nice. That's sick. I'm. Ha- I didn't know. Like I've been looking at you this whole episode, looking at you, Matt. And Let me I say tell what, by your face what was gonna happen. How about this? It's a 3.65. Fuck, wow, dude. dude whoa. <laughs> That's you just wanted to no. slightly I, you I, wanted to I, stab I, me with a little fucking tiny toothpick of a knife. 3.65. Oh my Fine. god. Uh I fuck you, um... Paul. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I won't say it back to you because I love you. I'm not gonna say fuck you, Matt. Wow. <laughs> to reverse psych me not gonna happen i uh i enjoyed these um i think less than you two did i i i I, I don't know i I don't really know what to make of it some of them felt like kind of like unfinished to me in a way like i wanted like i did not love miriam i gotta say i i wanted a little bit more out of it wow and, and some of the other ones um and and some of the symbolism, I think his writing, I like his writing a lot. And I think he's very evocative. And there's some passages like the way, some passages that are just brilliant and turns of phrase that I think are brilliant. And the and, and the way he like weaves in and out of like dream and like met, like, like arguably like, like not psychosis, but like 
mental kind of memory and stuff and reality and all of that I, I really enjoyed and I liked the kind of like magical realist that the aspect of it which is what I'm calling it um but like and then some of the symbolism felt muddled like if we'd really got into the headless hawk thing there's like 20 different symbols in that story of the hawk yeah true and the people on the backs and like uh, the doctor and Mr. Destronelli and all this stuff. It's like, it felt like there was a, too much going on in some of these stories, too much and not enough simultaneously going on in some of these stories for me. Uh, so I'm at like a 2.87. Oh, shit. Wow, okay. I, uh, I want to read at, more Capote, I'll say that. I'm like right around where Matt is actually. Like, I uh, enjoyed reading this a lot. I'm a, I'm a 3.56. All right. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. Well, uh, despite the uh, the spite the spiteful scores being thrown around, spite scores here. Um, that, <laughs> that wasn't was a, a spite score. It was a, it was fun. All right. I thought right. that was just fun goof. Oh, because it was six more... five and then five six. Yeah, I get it. No, no, actually, I, I thought you just wanted three... to make it lower than Matt's. No, no, I wanted to. Uh, no, I wanted to be uh, three point. What did you say, Matt? <laughs> six points. five. Oh, I want to do six seven. That's oh, what I meant okay, to do. Okay, got it. Okay, got all right. That. Yeah, a little bit more hurt. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for sticking with us this far. You beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, you listeners. guys are great. I'm hey, sorry about that. We're sorry we try about and, this episode. We should we try and do the uh, Capote's voice? <laughs> No, yes, no, I want to hear it. Stop the recording if anyone starts that. I want Matt to do the Philip Seymour Hoffman voice again. Philip Seymour Hoffman voice, I will condone. Yeah. I just feel like that's what he, <laughs> he just sort of, he kind of talks like this. Yeah, it's true. It is like Mike Tyson. There it is. Yeah. I wrote a bunch of short stories and I feel like you guys didn't really give them proper, uh, you know, a sort of uh, uh, consideration. Right. right, it's not bad. It's not bad, yeah, right? That's, good. that's, that's actually really good. good. Yeah, that's actually you guys good. think I'm joking, some of you, and it's not true. It's exactly what if you think like. that that's offensive or wrong, go listen to the YouTube videos. That's how he sounds. Yeah, it's yeah. what he sounds like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like a Looney Tunes character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, everybody, listen, come back next week for our anniversary spectacular. <laughs> spectacular it's gonna be, bra, it's bra. Gonna be yeah it's gonna be fireworks it's gonna be epic uh subscribe to the youtube subscribe to the patreon Instagram, i'm gonna eat some cotton candy twitter bring the cotton candy next week because it's gonna be epic you yeah. and uh don't murder yeah if it's whatever the opposite you do, of love don't murder it's the opposite of love <laughs> ending life yeah it's supposed to soul like a horcrux Oh. Bye. Bye. <laughs>